BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Friday, September 20th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. Former head of Planned Parenthood Cecile Richards will join us with Personal Pack CEO Terry Cosgrove. And it's the return of Doris Davenport, host of the Doris Davenport Show. And now your host of this show, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Solidarity Friday. And here's why. So as you know, everybody, uh, there's been a lot of strikes out uh, in the universe in the last year, two, three, year, two, three years. Uh, it's becoming more and more of a common tactic uh, that unions are employing. Unions have been employing it forever and ever, but it's been picking up over the last few years. And so uh, I, th- I thought we'd just uh, make clear, D, a few ground rules that we have on the Ben Jarofsky Show regarding uh, strikes. Okay, D? Okay. When workers go on strike. So, um, you know, we uphold to the strictest standards of journalistic neutrality we do not take sides d you hear that all right so take that solidarity forever button off okay no sides in these strikes you know we're like i don't know wttw or wbez you know on one hand this on the other hand that when it comes to strike strict Neutrality. You got that, D? Yeah. All okay. right. Sure. <laughs> Except for in the case of the GM strike. Good God, GM, stop being so cheap, man. They made all these concessions. Now the times are good. Give a little back. I'm sorry, D. I don't know where that came from. That really was inappropriate of me. Hold on. Slap myself for that. Anyway, where was I saying? Oh, yes. Journalistic neutrality. We are going to be neutral, neutral, neutral. We're not taking sides, as I said. There's two sides to every story, okay? Uh, so, you know, the workers say this, the bosses say that, we listen and, you know, try to come to some kind of understanding, right, D? Yeah. Except for in the cases of the nurses at the University of Chicago. Come on, University of Chicago, stop being so cheap. And what's with this lockout? You're going to have a lockout after the nurses have one day strike? How is that benefiting anybody? Isn't there anybody in Hyde Park to act like a, an, an intermediary to bring the two sides together? Come on, UFC. You got like... Millions and millions of dollars in your uh, f- in your endowment. You don't have to be so cheap. I'm sorry, D. That was neutral. Really Come on, for okay. neutral. <laughs> it's like you made me take my button off. <laughs> All right, <laughs> take your take your button off. What was I saying? Oh yes, it's like an episode of Chicago Today. Yeah, I love it when they all sit down in the little room. You know, they're all crowded around the desk and like this. It's like the one faction and the other faction. They're really nice to each other. And then when they get on the hall, they start gouging each other. But no, when they're on the set, it's neutral, neutral, neutral. 
and that's how we're going to do it here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, D, all right? Except for, of course, in the case of the Chicago Teachers Union. Come on, Chicago Public Schools. Come on, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Let's get a guarantee of librarians and social workers and nurses into the contract so every school has one. I'm sorry, D. I don't know what got... Hold neutral! On. I gotta have... I'm going to drink some new, neutral water. Yeah! Mmm! Good God, that water's good. It's very neutral. So like I'm saying... On the Ben Jarofsky Show, it's Neutrality City. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here, the Ramana Rundown. Oh, my God. Ramana is ready to talk about Justin Trudeau and the brown face uh, scandal. This, I don't know what Justin Trudeau was thinking of. He, of course, um, for our uh, Prime Minister of, of Canada. So we'll be talking about that with Ramana and plus uh, all kinds of local issues, including the very interesting column by uh, Neil Steinberg in the Sun-Times today about First Amendment rights in regards to Millennia Park. Uh, Doris Davenport, who's our third guest, I'm getting ahead of myself, really wants to talk about that, D, uh, because as you recall, Doris was uh, in Millennium Park with Pat Quinn gathering uh, signatures to petitions calling for uh, a term limits and a ref- referendum. And boy, were they harassed. Even the former governor was harassed. So interesting situation. How much First Amendment rights do we allow uh, in Millennium Park? And we're going to be very neutral on this subject, D. Neutral. Right? Neutral. You made me take my button off. Yeah, one hand this, and the other hand that. Uh, and the 2 o'clock hour, uh, Cecile Richards will be uh, with us by phone, former head of Planned Parenthood. She's coming to town. Uh, this Monday, she'll be the keynote speaker at Personal Pack Fundraiser. And uh, Terry Cosgrove, get your big boy pants on, D, uh, will be in the studio as well. We'll be DC. talking uh, reproductive rights issues. Cecile Richards is a... Um, well, God, she's a political junkie. Her mom was the former governor of Texas back in the day in the uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. Or maybe it was just the early 90s. Anyway, a lot of political talk to, uh, with uh, Cecile Richards as opposed to, and in addition to reproductive rights talk. So we're looking forward to having a conversation with Cecile Richards. And, of course, Doris Davenport, as I was saying, she'll be here later in the show. And she's got a wee of a... Man, there was a great article in the New York Times today uh, about uh, black teenagers and millennials and Zs or whatever they are trying to get their parents not to vote for Joe Biden. Uh, and so that's definitely something that uh, Doris Davenport wants to talk about. Kids leading their parents. All right. 2008 kids led their parents to vote for Barack Obama. Uh, and now kids are leading their parents not to vote for Barack Obama's running mate. The world kids these days. <laughs> Kids, what are you going to do about kids these days? I know what that's from. No, you don't. Yes, I do. It's no. Bye Bye Birdie. How did that? <laughs> that's like the one play I know something I'm from. like, how did you know that? For, for 10 trivia points, who sings the song in the movie? Oh, Ice Cube. No, it's not Ice Cube. It's Paul Lind. All right. <laughs> Ice Cube. Oh, my God. That's pretty funny. <laughs> He's Cuban. Bye-bye, Birdie. Uh, anyway, uh, kids these days. Uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about with Doris Davenport. Pol- uh, local politics, national politics, state politics, all the good stuff. Before we do any of that, the doctor with the news. All right, everybody. Before we find out what's happening in Illinois and or Chicago this afternoon, if 
By the way, my name's Dennis. We have to mention this week's Benny J bonus oh, yes. interviews. Ooh. All right. Not one, not two, but three Excellent. new exclusive interviews this weekend. Downloadable at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. And, of course, wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Ben, where do you download your favorite podcasts? Uh, Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Times. Oh, you just do it that way. Yeah, huh? I just oh. do it the old-fashioned all right, way. All right. Our Google my name and you click on it. It's that easy. Our Saturday bonus interview is with Maudlin Hedrick of the Chicago Sun-Times. Did I butcher that last name, Ben Jarofsky? Probably. Yeah, probably did. She's, she's great, though. She's awesome, and I apologize for that. She's an award-winning urban affairs reporter, columnist, and author, and she's cool as hell. Ben, tell us all about your talk with Maudlin. We had a, a great time. Maudlin talked a lot about being uh, a, um, a child of immigrants coming to this country in the 60s, growing up. Uh, her family is from Africa. Uh, and making her way in Chicago, and then they moved out to the western suburbs. But some really interesting stuff about her days in South Commons, which is a um, housing complex just in the mm, South Loop, Bronzeville area. I guess it's Bronzeville, not really South Loop. Anyway, uh, when uh, she she was growing up there, Jill Soloway and Faith Soloway, who are, of course, uh, big-time screenwriters and directors in uh, Hollywood, were growing up with her. It's just some funny stories, kind of bittersweet, because integration really hasn't worked out too well in Chicago. Chicago, but she talks a lot about uh, one moment in time where the the city of Chicago, not really the city itself, but people in the city were really trying to make a progressive attempt to have racial integration and some uh, really good talk with Maudlin. Uh, and she's just a fantastic person. Love talking with Maudlin. We're going to have to bring her back for that trivia show. Are we ready to unveil that one yet, Dee? Yeah, no? that's going to be coming up next week. We'll All talk right. more about that leading into next week. Uh, but that will be available for download at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, Saturday, on to Sunday. And boy, people, if you oh, could yeah. have only seen the face <laughs> of our host, Ben Jarofsky, during this interview, he was like a kid in a candy store yes. when he talked one-on-one with Robert Hergeth, creator of the Sun-Times FBI Files. Ben, tell us all about all it. All right, folks, uh, for all you political geeks out there, this is absolute listening. You've got to listen to this one. Uh, Bob Hergeth, a longtime investigative reporter at the Sun-Times, has an obsessive side to him. I think any investigative reporter has that side. I'm definitely going to write a story about this for the reader. I know I have my obsessive behavior. As a a reporter, you lock on to certain things. And one of the things that Bob Hergeth has locked on to are FBI files, files that the FBI kept on prominent Chicagoans. And they're accessible uh, if you file a Freedom of Information Act request and if the person is dead. And so he has gathered... what you say 120 of these files i think he said it's uh, over 100 uh and this th- this takes a lot of work folks you got to deal you gotta fill out the forms you got to deal with the bureaucrats and uh he's put it into a a, a website that through that you can get through the sun times and we take the deep dive why was the fbi gathering information what kind of information did they gather how did they use it did they use it at all or was it just there we explore the possibilities that the fbi was trying to blackmail people by gathering information on it fascinating stuff all wide array of Chicagoans, uh, lots on the left, but also some curious, like uh, Colonel McCormick, who uh, owned the Chicago Tribune for years and years and is a far right winger. Uh, the FBI had a file on him. Uh, Cardinal Cody, who ran, uh, who was the head of the Catholic Church in the 60s and the 70s, the FBI had a file on him. So interesting stuff. Uh, Bob Hergeth, you know what, D? Uh, a, an obsessive trait 
can be seem a little strange to quote unquote uh, everyday ordinary non journalistic citizens, but I can appreciate it. And uh, Bob Hergeth's a blast to talk to. So FBI files with Bob Hergeth. And shout out to uh, the Sun Times Brian Ernst, uh, video tech guru. He made an awesome intro for this. So yes, check this did. out the FBI files. The initials FBI conjure up distinct images of J. Edgar Hoover, Tommy Guns, and gangsters. But behind closed doors, you'll mainly find oh. records. <laughs> Holy the cow. FBI keeps A to Z files on people, places, and events, many of which become public over time. The Chicago Sun-Times has been collecting bureau files as they pertain to Chicago and Illinois, all compiled in a new database. Featuring religious figures and their followers, politicians, the media and the mob, the villains and the victims. This is FBI Files by the Chicago Sun-Times. Start your search today at suntimes.com. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Good job, Brian. He's the brains of this outfit. We all know that, right? Look at a brain on Brian. It's Ben's one-on-one discussion with Robert Hergeth, creator of the Sun-Times FBI Files. That'll be available for download at 6 a.m. Sunday morning and on Monday. Available for download by 5 a.m. Because I know a lot of you people got to get to work and get up at ungodly hours. This is a very interesting one. A gentleman by the name of Pete Cunningham sat down and talked with us. Ben, tell us about Pete Cunningham. Well, Pete Cunningham, otherwise known as PC, uh, is 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 uh, has been sort of on the other side of the fence for me for many many years. Uh, but we've always gotten along. Uh, he's one of the few aides to Daly and Rob. Well, I see. Uh, always point Ben. It was not an aide to Mayor Rom, just a good friend of Mayor Rom's. But uh, he's one of those guys that learn to get along with other people, even if they don't agree with him uh, politically, or if they if he disagrees or particularly his boss disagrees uh, with what critics have to say. And I was one of those critics in the 90s and the O's when he was working for Daly, writing speeches for uh, Richard Daly, and um, was working, he was a chief uh, PR guy for Arnie Duncan, and then he went to the White House, the Obama White House. And he's always been on the more Dem side of the fence. Uh, and so he comes into the studio, we talk about the Daly years, we talk about the Rom years, and it's, you know, we duel a little bit, but it's all good nature, no fighting, all right? And he brought us guitar there's something else about pc he's a, a great guitarist in my book he's a great guitarist uh and so he uh and he has a cover band and he took the opportunity to sing a little song so uh anyway interesting political talk with pc i urge everybody uh not you know what it's the big tent here at the ben jarofsky show what do i always say Dave? we start with joe biden on the right we go all the way left to my good friend sam holloway so pc is more on the joe biden side of the fence and uh Anyway, that was pretty interesting stuff, uh, dueling with him uh, on uh, live. Usually it's on the phone with nobody listening, you know what I mean? So we had the microphone going. It's pretty fun. Peter Cunningham. Yeah, once again, Ben's talk with PC Pete Cunningham is available Monday by 5 a.m. He plays a song on the interview as well. It's this weekend's Benny J bonus interview. Subscribe and download them, dead gummit. <laughs> All right, so we're not about to reveal what we're going to do. With some okay, we just spent up. the time getting people oh, to download right, these. Just, yeah, just, uh, we'll hold off on yeah. the big revelation. All right, and in case you missed the details on this week's top story local, 
actually. Wednesday's City Hall Smackdown between a mayor and her alderman. Uh, be sure to download our Oh What a Week It Was Week in Review special mm. that drops Monday night at 7 p.m. And speaking of, Ben, no new updates from that city council meeting. So I think it's safe to move on to Mayor Lightfoot's budget town hall meeting. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's had three of them. Yes. This is number three. It was last night on the southeast side of Chicago at George Washington High School. At potentially points. What ward is that, young Dennis? What ward is that? The 10th ward. Very correct? good. Sue Garza country. Oh, and yeah. what? Man, give that guy 10 trivia points. <laughs> really good job. Well, speaking of, I'm going to throw it your way now because we haven't Uh-oh. done this in a while. Oh, no. Because the random, oh so random <laughs> Chicago knowledge in that I big don't brain know. of yours is downright absurd. Ben, what do you say we do the Ben Jarofsky High School Challenge? Uh oh. That's right. So let's go ahead and do it here. Ben. Tell us what absurd information you know about George Washington High School. Oh, George Washington had a great basketball team back in the early O's. In fact, they battled with against Simeon for the city championship, as you know, in the year 2006. Uh, and a, they defeated, I believe, Simeon earlier in the year, and then it was revenge time. The game was played at DePaul's Gym on Sheffield. You remember that, day, right? Absolutely. And who came off? The, who who for Simeon uh, came out and hit about five threes in a row? Ice Cube is so good. <laughs> Derek Rose. All right. Anyway, all right. Here you go, D. What prominent Chicago politician graduated from Washington High School? Um, Mitch McConnell. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even... (laughs) Sue Sadlowski-Garza. All right. Come on, man. She was a rock and rolling student at Washington back in the day in the 70s. She loved the rock and roll, D. Anyway, Washington High in the southeast side of the city of Chicago. All right, you're a weirdo. Now back to the budget town hall meeting. Right now, the city of Chicago is facing an $838 million, but I bet if you really looked at it, it'd be about a billion-dollar deficit. Yes, that's billion with a B. <laughs> so last yeah. night, Mayor Lightfoot was ready to hear some revenue ideas on how we can get the ball rolling a bit and get out of this hole. The attendees, on the other hand, man, they didn't want to talk about the deficit that much, Ben. Yeah, believe it or not, everyday people aren't walking around uh, Chicago with calculators in their hands <laughs> trying to help out Lori Lightfoot here. We got our own personal deficits going mm. on. You know what I mean? So, understandably, these attendees at the town hall wanted to talk about, uh, you know, what's going on in their area. Shout out to WGN and Taman Bradley for the audio. We really need a lot here on the southeast side and south sides of Chicago. The business district is suffering. Uh, we've lost 30 businesses in, in just a little over 10 years. Uh, it's difficult for us to compete. Deficit, schmeficit. Let's talk about what's going on on our side, right? Absolutely. And here's the thing. Uh, Wherever Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot goes, she's going to find... is a very like uh, parochial concerns, if you will, for that individual neighborhood. And so much of the city's attention, so much, much of the city's uh, development dollars uh, have been spent in, the, in and around the loop. And as the mayor leaves the loop leaves the area that is really bustling and growing she's going to see face to face she's going to confront the reality that lots of neighborhoods in the city of chicago are struggling and so we it's time is long past when we reconsider how we spend our development dollars and that of course is the tiff program that's the only uh, discretionary development dollars that she has so uh yeah it's i've i've watched this with uh, mayor daly 
And uh, once with Mayor Rahm, and then he quit having public hearings because <laughs> he didn't like uh, when people asked him challenging questions. I think Lori Lightfoot has thicker skin than that. Uh, and so most mayors, they hear, they, you know, they see the realities and the needs in neighborhoods, and then they go back to the loop, and they start throwing more money around the loop. So uh, we'll see if Lori Lightfoot uh, is going to be different, definitely, than Mayor Rahm. I'm hoping she's different than Mayor Rahm, that's for sure. Uh, Mayor Rahm did not do much to promote development uh, in areas outside the downtown business district. All right, we're covering last night's budget town hall meeting on the southeast side. And, Ben, even a toddler got up to address her concerns. I need a new school. Hey, where are her parents? Did she drive there? (laughs) How old is that kid? I don't know. Yeah, I need a new school. All right. Yeah. Uh, and because this was held in a neighborhood rooted in the old steel community, pollution and environmental issues were a big concern as well. High pollution rates and contamination within the soil is what we face. We got uh, blasts from uh, natural gas uh, and some other thing we don't even know what it is. Jury's still out if that guy's Pat Quinn, by the way, talking. That he did like sound Pat, like Pat Quinn. sounded a lot like Pat did, Quinn. Did you have uh, video or just audio on that? Oh, I mean, yeah, I had video, but um, the guy, he was you couldn't see his face. I see. So, jury's still out. That could still be Pat Quinn. I <laughs> it did know. sound a lot like Governor <laughs> Quinn. Anything you'd like to say about those issues they had Well, there? Uh, you know, the southeast side, of course, uh, has been struggling with environmental problems forever and largely overlooked by the city of Chicago. Uh, and I've, it's an age-old lament coming from activists and residents down on the southeast side complaining that they don't get the attention they need from the city when it comes to uh, cleaning up all the waste and the dumps that are down there. And so, I, I mean, I've been writing about this issue, D, since like the 80s. Uh, and uh, so... Mayor Rahm, again, did not uh, pull back uh, on environmental issues. Remember, he closed down the the city's Department of Environment. It wasn't on the top of his uh, agenda. Let's see, again, if Lori Lightfoot can improve uh, improve the city's efforts on this year. we got to get Mike Novak back in this show to talk about this because one of the things Mike Novak uh, is so good at pointing out is like just all the little basic fundamental ways the city of Chicago do more uh, to promote a healthier environment, a healthier planet, if you will, and how they retreated over the last eight years in this fight. And Lightfoot seemed to agree there. She, in fact, weighed in with her own ideas on pollution. What I hope we will be rolling out in the coming days is an announcement about standing up a new office of the environment in the mayor's office. What do you think about that? I think that's uh, I think it's overdue. And I never understood why Rom uh, took down that department. It just it, it showed an indifference at best to a very important issue. One that, that is politically very important. Uh, de- definitely uh, the whole issue of uh, uh, climate change is 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 motivating many voters uh, in the Democratic primary. So, you know, Rom was he's was on the right side of uh not right as in correct but right as in right wing side of the democratic party he was sort of a republican on these matters and uh he just didn't think it was worth his time effort to have an environmental department uh it shows let's put it this way it's an area where people can go to if they have a very specific uh complaint about pollution or lead poisoning etc 
somehow I feel that's going to be a huge problem uh, that the city is going to confront in the next few years. And so you need experts on staff, uh, just just if nothing else, where people can turn to to get some kind of logical, reasonable answer uh, to the questions that they have. So I welcome the fact that Lori Lightfoot's going to bring back the Department of Environment, and I never understood why Rom got rid of it in the first place. Well, let's ask the man himself. Hey, Rom, why didn't you ever have an environmental department, dude? I just biked around Lake Michigan. Oh, okay. okay. I see. It's busy. Nothing to do with that at all, yeah. but okay, sure. Whatever. Nearly a thousand miles. Oh, okay. Well, there you see? It was a thousand. That's it was pretty a thousand impressive. miles. It was too busy to have a Department of Environment. But hey, about that budget deficit, the mayor let it be known that she is still not committed to a property tax hike. Instead, she's considering a graduate real estate transfer tax, and she's still hoping on changes to the new Chicago casino law, a congestion tax, and help from Springfield with pensions, which, by the way, if you're uh, wondering uh, how that's going, uh, maybe you're wondering about Springfield's... Uh, answer to that nothing yeah no it's we, I mean, talk, we talked about this yesterday with jeff johnson uh who's our pension guru uh on this show and uh i don't think the city of chicago is going to get any significant assistance from springfield from the state government on its pension problem uh, jeff broke this down in terms of what the proposals are in springfield at the moment and none of them are directing huge amounts of money to the city of chicago so this is something that Lori lightfoot is going to have to address this is probably the biggest challenge in terms of raising revenue is to figure out how to make good on the the obligations that we have to our pension fund and which way is she going to go which tax is she going to use you know here in the show we bring on many progressives who talk about things like a head tax a little sal tax like you mentioned the transfer tax uh you know uh, a city income tax these are all ideas that would be an attempt to shift the burden away from the middle class the working class and poor people uh to and you know what she took a step in that right direction a little step but it was an important step when she made some changes uh in the, the um scoff law law we talked about that the other day with the city and i think the city's going to lose about 15 million dollars just think about that d this the, the city was squeezing 15 million dollars a year out of the people who could least afford to pay it on like parking fines, red light tickets, et cetera, to towing cars, selling, selling cars. And, uh, you know, it's just $15 million. It just has to be a, a saner, wiser, uh, more equitable, progressive way of raising money to pay these bills than to like, squeeze pe- poor people by towing their cars. Oh, thank God I ride my bike. Mm-hmm. All right. So all in all, that was kind of it. Mayor Lightfoot's budget town hall meeting number three is in the books. And apparently, these town halls have become extremely popular. Isn't that right, Tamon Bradley? These town halls have become extremely popular. Today, the mayor announced that she is adding a fifth one to be held October 2nd on the South Side. Hey! Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to that one. That's at South... I think I saw that in the paper, uh, South Shore Cultural Center. It's one of my favorite sites to go for mayoral uh, budget hearings. Go back, Going back into the day, in the 90s, when Daly would have his, they always loved going down the... Interesting uh, collection of speakers. You could depend on the show up uh and um oh my goodness there's so many public hearings I've, I've attended in that room i could just i remember the ones for the olympics uh back in 2008 or so so i know i'm a little geeky in this stuff d d i like public hearings on mayoral budget hearings I haven't been able to go to any because they're they're held right around the time we're doing our bonus interviews you know but i believe the one that she assigned for october 2nd we're free that day so i'm gonna head on down to south shore for that one 
All right. Today, Lightfoot's schedule includes a visit at Solorio Academy in the morning to make note of education gains made at Chicago Public Schools, the Art Institute in the afternoon to deliver remarks at the 2019 Chicago Investors Conference, and then she's delivering remarks at the Chicago City Council Latino Caucus Foundation Gala, a lot of words there, at Bridgeport Art Center Sculpture Garden. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in the city of Chicago. Town hall meeting number three in the books. And hey, you can get the inside scoop on all things Chicago Bears. Nothing to do with the town hall meeting. The Chicago Bears this football season with the annual Sun-Times Bears magazine. Dive into features of players, coaches, games, and plays and get excited for the 100th season of football. Ben Jarofsky's so excited about it, aren't you? <laughs> Ready to set 2020. There we go. By the way, did you hear that moaning sound coming earlier today no. from the hallway? No. That was Dave, the Sun-Times editor, who's a huge Bears fan. He's still crying over oh, the Bears. Dave. <laughs> Dave, get Poor used Dave. to it, dude. Get used to it. <laughs> he said he's a lifelong Chicago Bears season ticket holder. He's, ah! <laughs> this collectible magazine is just what you need to get ready for this fall. Dave has it. Do you? You can order your copy of the magazine at suntimes.com forward slash CST shop. That's suntimes.com forward slash CST shop is that right robert Mullen? that's correct <laughs> grab your copy today yeah. don't go anywhere because coming up after this break romana hussein is in studio it's the romana rundown don't go anywhere it's the ben Jarofsky show live from the chicago sun times read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food arts and entertainment weekly concert listings weekly event listings the environment travel i can continue but you get the point point. and for all of you chicago political junkies raw weekly columns on real city politics from maya dukmasova and our very own ben jarofsky the chicago reader free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com read it now and be a more informed chicagoan back on the the taxes briefly it, you know when you wrote wrote the book and you made the money yeah isn't that the definition of capitalism, the American dream? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, what we want is a country where everybody has opportunity. You know, I have a college degree. Look, I'm a United States senator. But a lot of people don't have a college degree. A lot of people are not United States senators. I want everybody in this country to be able to have health care, to have education, to when they turn on the water, have dr drinkable water, not toxic water. So what we are fighting for, Brett, is a society not where just a few people can make a whole lot of money, but a society where everybody in this country has the opportunity to live in security uh, and dignity. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. It's Friday. You know what that means? What? It's the Romano Rundown. Oh, yeah. Romano Hussein in the studio. And uh, we were just talking about next. Can I let the cat out of the bag, D? Sure, go ahead. Keep the cat in the bag. That's the cat in the bag. I want out. Uh, we're gonna try. This is Dennis's idea. Uh, this is a great idea from Dr. D. Pride and Joy of Alton, Illinois. You know what they call him back in Alton, White Lightning. Uh, and uh, he said, let's, no one calls me that. Uh, let's do a bonus feature uh, with trivia and news, a weekend review thing. And I said, ah, it's a great idea. So uh, Carrie Reed from The Reader and Ramon Hussein have uh, been so nice as to volunteer as our first uh, <laughs> uh, trivia contestant. Well, the radio school guy handle us oh, here. Yeah. We got a new program coming out. It's going to be fantastic, all right? It's going to be one-on-one. <laughs> We're doing like a versus thing, all right? What we're going to do is we're going to do a week in review and uh, trivia combined in one show, and we call it for 10 trivia points, all right? That's correct. Why do we call it that? Because you say it all the time. <laughs> for 10 trivia points, Romano, what high school did Dennis go so to? So it's stemming off Ben's... Alton High. Oh, no, no, I did not. That's a good guess. <laughs> but that's a very good guess. Very good guess. Southwestern High School is where I went to high school. Western but high what school. it is, is uh, we're combining trivia with the weekly uh, news. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. And what we're going to do is we're going to do verses. So it's a test run, kind of a pilot, if you will. Our first contest will be the Chicago Sun-Times versus... The Chicago Reader. We're going to finally find out who's smarter. Yeah, and uh, so Carrie Reed, a theater critic for the uh, Reader, has so graciously volunteered, and Romana has well. And and, and uh, Carrie's already uh, uh, tweeted out some trash talk, and she said, "Quote: Romana's going down." Whoa, Carrie! <laughs> hey, come on, <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> Uh, anyway, by the way, that is the difference between a guy who's trained in the business and a guy who is an excellent Next job. week, check it out, everybody. It's going to be next, uh, I believe we're going to release it next Friday night. All right. So I come, at, I come earlier for yes. the, the rundown and again. Yeah, so, so we're getting they're gonna we're miss really me on the squeezing desk. Squeezing no, Romana. Uh, she's just going to become a full-time employee of the Ben Jarofsky no, show. If, if, if I get a million-dollar contract, that'd be great. Uh, depths in the mail. All right, Romana Hussein, <laughs> uh, we, we've been dying to talk about this for at least two days now, or whatever the story broke and we both knew we were going to talk about it uh justin trudeau of canada all right you just take it away uh this yeah, is yeah i was actually i one. think this happened today is uh friday right i think mm-hmm. tuesday or wednesday night i think it was wednesday night i was sitting at my desk about to leave and then i saw time magazine tweeted that just there's a picture of justin trudeau that surfaced and he's wearing they called it brown face because he was teaching at a school in 2001 and it was an, an aladdin or um arabian nights costume party and he was dressed as aladdin and his face was pretty he, he had put makeup on his face from what you could see it was um, brown face and then it turns out as i think as the night went on um he addressed reporters later apologizing for that um as the night went on it turns out that he had appeared in blackface in high school for um i think he was doing um a harry belafonte skit yeah. Deo. Deo. and Deo. then and then i think there was another picture or video that surfaced of him in blackface as well so there was at least three incidents you know, he's apologized for it. He's up for re-election and he's uh, being challenged by several people, I believe. So this came out at a particular time. I'm surprised it didn't come out earlier. And it just it just makes you think, like, is this a common thing? I mean, there's politicians, you know, obviously we've seen a lot of politicians in the last few years where these pictures are surfacing of them wearing blackface. Now, I don't know how common, I've, I've never seen it, I've never experienced it. 
I never did it myself. I don't know how why anybody would do that. And I just, you know, there's one thing if he was in high school, I'm not saying it's right, but he was 29 in 2001. He wasn't a kid. And I think this was post nine 11. Mm -hmm. So there definitely was, you know, there, he's supposed to be a woke white guy. Okay. And he's, he's, you know, (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, and of course everybody was enamored by him. Uh, you know, everybody likes him because he's kind of the anti-Trump. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't know. I guess I wasn't shocked, but you know, he said, I didn't know it was a racist thing, but how could you not think that? Um, there was, there's a young woman out there who works with us and she's Canadian. I go, what do you think about what your prime ministers did? And she told me, you know, her father's Middle Eastern and mom's, you know, her mom was like, is, she's, she's biracial. And she was telling me, she's like, my mom's totally devastated. My dad's like, how could someone do something like that? I just don't, I don't get it. I don't know if this was something that was common in younger generation, I mean, older generations, but did you see it? I know it was an Amos and Andy, you know, you hear about skits in the fifties, but you think it's something from the fifties, not 2001. And you know, you were talking, we were talking about Ted Danson yeah. and I said, thought it was eighties. That was actually 1993. Yeah. I thought it was later than the eighties. Yeah. And it was when he was dating Whoopi Goldberg Yeah, and it was a roast for Whoopi Goldberg right. and he shows up in blackface mm-hmm. and apparently I didn't know this cause I just remember being in college or when it, this, this came out and uh, he used the N word a couple times during the skit and ate watermelon. And this isn't that long ago. I know for a lot of young kids, this is, seems like a long time ago, but yeah. I don't know. I, I just find it. I don't know why you would do something. Like I don't that, know but. either. And, uh, Ted Danson, see, we're getting into, uh, several issues here because we talked about this last week. We talked about, about this comics. Before, yeah. Oh no. The whole issue of comedians feeling that they can push the line, push the envelope. No, are you talking about the SNL guy? Uh, yeah, the SNL guy, Shane Gillis, I think Gillis, his name yeah. is. Uh, and then Dave Chappelle. We've talked a lot about Dave yeah. Chappelle on this show and his comments in his latest Netflix uh, special, which I've now seen twice. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if I'm talking about it, i got to see it. Uh, plus, there's parts I really think are funny. But um, so there's the issue of a comic doing it. Then there's people who want to be funny. So Justin Trudeau is not a comedian, so he can't say I'm pushing the envelope, you know, to get at some larger truths and get people to think. He, I guess he thought he was being clever or cool. I never wanted, I never had any inclination to do that. I'm just saying, like, is it very common for white people to do this? Because well, as, I don't, as you're an expert on all white people, and I, by the I way, I know a lot about white people having grown up among them. <laughs> I but, have, to, uh, I do too, but I, I, I gotta still. tell you, I've never, I'm thinking back, I've been to a party where anybody's ever done this. I don't really go to a lot of parties, particularly lately. So uh, I know this is catching me off guard. This yeah, is like a I just, whole world. And I, I told, we talked about blackface before on this show. Cause I remember I told you, I did see whiteface in India when I was a kid, 1983. I was, uh, my cousins took me to like, there was this thing for kids on independence day. I was there in the summer and there was this, there were reenactment of, you know, stuff that happened, you know, before pre-independence. And there was these guys playing British people and they had like powder all over their Mm -hmm. face. They're playing the British people. And I I remember thinking that was odd, but that's a totally different context. I just don't understand 
why you would do that. And I, I remember I told you that I saw an episode, give me a break when I was in the mid eighties yeah. and there was a, episode where one of the daughters was mad at Nell Carter, who was, you know, the housekeeper and just kind of like a, a mom to these, you know, white girls. Yeah. And then, and she got mad. So she had Joey Lawrence who was brought in, you know, <laughs> you later. Know 80s, uh, yeah, I know I was, I was, I came of age in, in the eighties and she had him dress up in blackface uh-huh. and Nell Carter's character gets really upset and she starts crying and she talks about how it's wrong. So it's like, Justin Trudeau's the same age as I am. Like he didn't see that episode. You know, I, I'm just saying that there was there was education for kids of my generation. All right. I know we're the old people now at this point, but I just don't understand we, how anybody from my generation and younger could do this. Okay. Unless there are blatant racists. All right. So, well, there's a, there's a, two issues here that I want to address with you. One is the apology, and the other is, I think there's white people are really struggling with the notion of Asian Americans these days you understand what i'm saying well there's like in the old days when you uh comedy that i was on mainstream tv um the movies like uh breakfast at tiffany's i don't know if you ever saw that movie uh, i i never saw it yeah and um but I, I heard about uh, mickey rooney's character character. he's playing a japanese uh, landlord and it's just it's it's really embarrassing to watch it now uh don rickles comedy roasts uh it's everything that like mainstream America just took for granted. People making fun of Chinese American accents, Indian accents, uh, Indian accents. And now it's like, wait, we can't do this anymore. Not uh, you guys, yeah. not, not a white person. Huh? It's different. <laughs> so there's that going on, you know? Yeah. I, I think I, I'm glad there's that sensitivity there. You know, it's one person, one thing, if it's an Indian person making fun of Indian people or a Chinese American making fun of Chinese. And even then I know a lot of people say like in the, there was like in the beginning, there's a lot of Indian American comedians. Now there's just an influx of them on TV. There was this one guy that when I was like coming of age, his name was Russell Peters and yeah, from Canada. Yeah. He was very popular because he was the only Indian. So, you know, we'd all go, go watch anything that was involving, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, like, wow, there's an Indian person on TV. And, I, I remember his whole shtick was he would do imitations of his dad. And I know the younger generation, they've talked about how they don't really think it's funny to kind of bring up the accents because they're like, you're doing it for a mostly white audience who are just kind of at the end of the day, they're just laughing at you. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. I think those are good topics of debate. I don't think this guy meant to like be, you know, that was the intention. But a lot of the younger generation thinks they're like, I don't know why you have to do the accent. So it's so, and then so for a white male to do it, it's just more. And it's offensive. not even a good accent. No, it, well, you know, um, Apu, you know, Apu. Yes. That character yes. was not an in, done by an Indian that man. Is correct. It was for Hank Azaria. Oh, wow, I was going to do for ten trivia points. Well, no, I beat you to it. And, yeah. and he, there's actually a documentary. There's this really good uh, comedian Hari Kondabalu who did a documentary on Apu and how he find found it offensive. Yeah, and then Calpen uh, uh, hey, was in it. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was the uh, like the Simpson creators were offended at first. Yeah, they didn't. Again, they didn't like. What are you talking about? Well, what? they said their whole argument was we make fun of everyone, so this is just one person, you know. But I think his argument was at the time when the Simpsons started, there were so few Indian American. They do and they representations. don't. Representations, yeah. They do and they don't, uh, and they don't have white guys doing black voices. They have black guys doing so. It, it like I said, it's like 
it's, it's it, changing. Yeah, Our, people are woke and uh, <laughs> they're coming woker. And so it's just something that society is going to go through now. All right, let's talk about the apology. apology. Yeah. I mean, if I had to like just off of the, you know, my opinion, do I think Justin Trudeau was racist and he meant harm? Probably not. But, you know, him saying that I don't believe, I didn't think he was racist at the time. I don't know how you could not think that, but you know, he has to say what he has to say. And he did say, you know, because of my privilege, I didn't realize it was wrong, which I think is a, it's a good, it's a good thing for him to come out and say, but he has to say it right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so, you know, I think he had had to be very careful with what he was saying. I just don't buy the fact that he didn't like somebody in the newsroom was saying like him, like putting that makeup on, it was so, you know, meticulously put around his eye like he just he went through great lengths and they're like wasn't while he was putting this on didn't he ever think that this could be wrong and it's like he just didn't do he said there might be more pictures so what does this mean like he showed up at every party it was obviously a phase he was going through (laughs) we all go through our phases uh, I don't know. By the way, uh, in Dave so, Chappelle's, I can't stop so what, talking about, about Dave Chappelle. He does a, a fake Chinese American accent. Yeah, you know what he says that because you know he's married to an Asian woman. I, okay, he says he can't <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, well, all right, there you that's go. A, that's an excuse. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't I know mean, if that's going to work. I don't know. There's like, you know, I and I'm not that. Like, I understand some jokes. Like, I could be okay, but there's some that are pushing the bound, and I still have to watch what that former Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I've not watched Shane Gillis. He said something. He did. He did something. He's he called an Asian person. He used the c word. Mm-hmm. I guess I can say it. He said he called someone chink Jew. Yeah, and I don't know what that. So I don't know what the context was. I don't was know what the context. I, I have. To, I haven't seen it. I I intend to see it. I tend to watch. I should have watched it already because to talk about it. And then Rob Schneider defended him, and you know Rob Schneider is part Asian. Yes. It's like so there you get into so, the defenses. Like, yeah. Uh, so it gets it. Like I remember the issue of the uh, the Washington Redskins and a name yeah. that I, I can't believe we still have. Yeah. And you know my high school mascot was an Indian. That is correct. Niles West Indian. I was about to do the 10 trivia. We have so many Niles West graduates in this studio right now. (laughs) Niles West is everywhere. I feel the IQ level has just gone up (laughs) because Niles West is in the house. My Uh, husband says everything comes back to your high school or Lincolnwood. I'm like, it's true. Lincolnwood's a great town, man. I don't want anybody to say anything (laughs) bad about Lincolnwood. I love the Lincolnwood Town Mall. They got a lids there. I don't like that mall that much. But anyway. Uh, You don't like the Lincolnwood Town Mall? I love Old Orchard. That's my favorite moment. Oh, look, Terry. But, TC's ready to weigh in. <laughs> he was hanging out. I, I remember him smoking but, reefer in the back of the Lincoln. The that, was oh. East. that was Niles East. Oh, that was Niles East. Oh, that was Niles East. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but Niles West, uh, we actually had Native Americans come to our high school when I was in high school, and they talked about how it was offensive to them. And most of the kids in my school who weren't people of color were like, what's wrong with it? And yeah. we had a debate in Spanish and I was on the side of the Native Americans. And I remember I said, uh, this is offensive. And it took like about 10, I want to say within 10 years, they changed it to the wolves. My younger sister was in high school. What are they, then. the wolves now? They're the wolves. Okay. Yeah, yeah, University of Illinois. Uh, Terry yeah. is weighing in. Yeah, he's absolutely correct. Uh, Chief Illini, Illini Wick, Illini Wick, and the and the passion. See, this is what I'm and saying. And the sad thing was the yeah. guy defending it when I was in high school because that's when the Native Americans brought up how U of I was racist too. The guy defending it was a Niles West grad. He had like, this big campaign about yeah. you know, and I was just like, you're. I remember thinking in my teenage self, you know, you know I was the like, passion how could you? that. 
Illini fans, I never understood this. The passion which they try to defend uh, Chief Illini. What was the, how did they pronounce Whatever. Illini Weck. Yeah, Illini Weck. And My niece went to. We had, I could not understand yeah. that. Like, just let it go already. I know. And, you know, we had we had a mascot. I actually interviewed her when I was a sophomore for my school paper. You know, it was like a feature. I did. You know, we had mascots doing a Native American dance that they just like did whatever. And then we had for the wrestlers, we had something called the Savage of the Week. And it had a picture of a Native American holding, a, you know, an axe. This and is like, this 80s is, or 90s? This is the 80s. Yeah. So it, it's, things have changed uh, for yeah. the better. And uh, at some point, I, I, my, if I had to make a bet, I think most Canadians will ultimately decide to let it go. Uh, and uh, Canada, particularly the Toronto, is a very diverse Oh, Canada is very diverse. Very diverse, and uh, he he will apologize. It's it's sort of like when uh, Governor Pritzker, when he was candidate Pritzker, got in trouble with the tapes, the Blago tapes, and he went on an apology tour. If people just instead of trying to drag it out, defend it, I don't think he know, would. Def- I no, knew he wouldn't defend yeah, it. Yeah, he's Trudeau. gonna just you, you say, hey, you know what. I, I screwed up. I'm then, surprised they didn't come out earlier. Well, you know, people, I, don't know. I don't know. It's just interesting. I knew we could probably talk about this for know, another know, half an hour because this Sorry. is one of our favorite uh, topics of conversation. Uh, the, the, just the changing attitudes that people have to have about different cultures, different ethnicities. It's just I've watched so much shift in the last couple of years, Romana. But when I th- and again, I'll say this, when I think back to what life was, what it was like in the 60s growing up and Don Rickles and Mickey Rooney. Well, look, even when I was growing up in the 80s, all the movies that I loved, um, the um, sweet, what was it, 16 Candles, John, all the John Hughes movies. Remember Long Duck Wong? Yeah, yeah. Was I was the, not a huge fan of John Hughes. I know that's like yeah, for thrown out of the <laughs> studio. but uh, Well, for people who are my age, Yeah, you, like, you guys love it. John Hughes. Uh, never can't think of one John Hughes movie that and is And they're all really filmed good. in the suburbs where I used to hang out. That so is correct. Cool. Uh, I think I think Breakfast Club was filmed at Niles North High School, I want No, say. no. It was filmed at a different school, which is now a state uh, um, a state building. And My sister works Niles in the North? building. No, it wasn't Niles North. It wasn't? It wasn't. What's the one behind Old Orchard? That is Niles North, but it wasn't yeah. filmed there. All right. Well, we'll have to take this out. All right. Let's move on to uh, the uh, article that uh, Neil Steinberg wrote, the issue. Uh-huh. Uh, I find this a fascinating issue. And I've been, actually uh, been writing about this forever, going back into uh, the O's when Millennia Park was first built, when it was first unveiled. And uh, real quick here, before we move on, it says here, according to Google... Maine North High School yeah. is where Maine North. You are wrong. <laughs> Maine North. I don't even know where Maine North yeah, is. Yeah, so my younger sister works for the state of Illinois. She's an investigator, and she works in that building. Okay, and she says a poster of Breakfast Club. Yeah. Maine North High School in Des Plaines, yes. Illinois. Okay, can I just say something? Romana, you were right. <laughs> Yes. And I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Gotcha. You know what? She's so fired up for next week's I trivia know, battle. I'm get ready. <laughs> She's getting ready. She's going to spit She's out whatever compa- I have to say. And, w- and when I recruited her to be the first contestant in our trivia night, she, I go, are you competitive? She goes, yeah, I'm competitive. And I'm, like, I'm not that. I'm, trust me, I'm not that competitive. Compared uh, to Mick, I'm not. Wait, My let's, husband, Mick. Let's read your tweet. Carrie Reed, you're going down. Hey, whoa. Uh, anyway, all right. Um, so, um, all right. This is... Uh, uh, Neil Steinberg wrote it. It was kind of a funny uh, 
column in some ways, uh, but he was talking about uh, the issue of First Amendment rights to uh, for people to proselytize in Millennium Park outside the Bean, uh, and the city has always been very uh, protective, if you will, about what happens uh, in Millennium Park. This goes back to Mayor Daly. That's I his, didn't know that. Oh I my goodness! I wrote clearly. We're not reading the column after column. I wrote. Uh, I do in read the, your column. No, no but this is in the early O's. Um, when when in Millennium Park? I'm trying to think what it. Oh, the Bean. I want to say in the early O's. Oh four, oh five. The bean. Yeah, That's what got everybody coming out. Yeah, it, yeah. leading up to his uh, Mayor Daly's re-election march in 07, i I've always said the Millennium Park uh, just sealed the deal for him because he he was under a lot of uh, scrutiny uh, from the feds and there was a lot of corruption. But then it, they unveiled Millennium Park and people were like, "Oh my God!" <laughs> <laughs> everybody loves the Bean. Everybody it's loves like, Millennium Park. So yeah. the for instance, okay, back in the O's, the city had this real obsession about people taking pictures in Millennium Park. Really? I didn't yes. know that. And that was because they were protecting, I'm not making this up, mm-hmm. like the copyright. They felt they had a copyright in the bean, so they didn't want professional photographers going in and taking pictures of the bean and then selling postcards, if you will. Okay. So there would be like wedding parties. People would go, they would have their wedding in the loop, and then they would go over to Millennium Park, and they would have pictures of the bride and the, and the groom and the wedding party outside the bean, and they would have a professional photographer taking the picture. And the security guards in Millennium Park have been ordered to stop that action on the grounds that they were violating a copyrighted, uh, a copyrighted protected bean. And I was obsessed with this story. You know how <laughs> so, me, when I get so on the you store. Can't, I, I didn't know that. So you can't take a wedding picture uh, there? You, well, there was... Um, I, I feel think like they, Chris Fusco took one in front of the bean, but maybe it was... You just threw him under the I bus. I don't know. Uh-oh. Uh, here come the cops. <laughs> Fusco in the handcuffs. I don't know. I could be wrong. I, maybe you took no, one around the bean. You, I, th- I believe the city... It's been so long since I wrote these stories. It's over 10 years. Uh, the, I think the city eventually backed off. Like the, oh, okay. the um, ACLU is going to get involved. There's a First yeah. Amendment issue. Well, I don't even know how you can take wedding pictures by the bean because it's always surrounded by so many other people well that was the so argument the city probably, made yeah. well there's a you know that's what they get to they get into the issue well it's just uh it's a security matter you're clogging the arteries where people are walking and yeah. you're just getting in the way etc cetera, et cetera. but this is this is a little different uh this is what yeah. this is the people proselytizing yeah and they sued the city of chicago these are four wheaton college students um and that's an uh, eval- evangelical, evangelical christian <laughs> you can tell i'm muslim because i can't pronounce it but um they basically um had filed this lawsuit against the city of chicago because they said it's against their first amendment speech rights and they're saying that you know they want to spread the gospel Mm -hmm. to everyone they can because this is what they believe and uh neil steinberg basically who said he usually defends the first amendment and people's rights he said that he does he thinks that they're wrong on this issue and the city of chicago basically there is one spot they divided the millennium park into 11 spaces and they said there's one space it's called wrigley square i don't know exactly where that is because i didn't know millennium park was kind of cut up into different pieces or the city kind of defines different places so they can do it in one spot but they i think they want to have a right to do it in all all the areas yeah. and and neil steinberg said some you know he's kind of pointing to this one group he's like you just want to spread what you believe in and then he kind of talks about how a lot of evangelical christians are backing trump who right. is pretty much the antithesis of what christianity or a lot of people will tell you christianity 
by the way, I have, spouses. To give, I have as long as you're on this subject, I have to give a shout out uh, to Rex Hupke from the Chicago Tribune. He's a columnist for the Chicago Tribune. He wrote a column. I never got around to talking about it yesterday. We got distracted by so many different things. I don't know if you saw his column yesterday. He no. wrote a column about uh, evangelicals uh, who endorsed Donald Trump and the hypocrisy. And so he rewrote key passages of the Bible, uh, sayings of Jesus Christ. He rewrote them in such a way uh, that would support Trump's view of the world. It was very effective satire. Hats off to that dude, uh, Rex Hopke. But Neil Steinberg was making the same uh, point that in some, if you're if you're preaching, not that these four uh, kids from Wheaton are doing this, yeah. But if you're preaching what hate or discrimination, uh, if you're doing that under the guise of the First Amendment. Uh, should that be protected? It's like that wacky group of people who would uh, protest outside of military uh, uh, funerals. I forget though. There's some some quote unquote church in Kansas. I want to say. Oh yeah, yeah. Greens. And I don't know. I'm I, making it. I don't know. I, don't, I, I remember. remember. I know the, what you're talking about. And it's so. Um, I find it so offensive. You know, you're having a, a a funeral for somebody who lost his or her life uh, in the in war. And so you're, you're trying to pay tribute to somebody who made the ultimate sacrifice. And then there's nutcases, and it has to do with gay marriage. Yeah, uh, And yeah. it's just like... What does one have to do what, with the... But, but, and they I mean, claim they have a First Amendment right. If you, and if you, I don't know if you've ever... Um, in the uh, Pride Parade, there's always at the end of uh, a diversity, at the far east end of diversity, as you're coming to the end, there's, I think, these same nutcases with these signs that are so offensive that they're waving mm-hmm. at like they're saying, hey, people get AIDS. I want you. I mean, it's just yeah. really offensive stuff, but they're, there's cops there protecting them. It's like a First Amendment right. They have a First Amendment right to be offensive. Yeah, I, I, I believe in the First Amendment. I think people do have like the right to be offensive, but I don't know. And I guess because this is a public park, that's their argument, right? I don't know. I, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting thing because they are there are different groups giving lectures in different places. And I, and I think the city is just saying that it can be annoying. People have a right to enjoy the park without being disturbed. Well, I, That's I, their argument. Here's my attitude. I believe in the First Amendment, but I see the right wing has weaponized the First Amendment, and they yeah, only believe course. in the they First Amendment it. for themselves. They use the First Amendment right. when it comes to themselves, yeah. but I'm sure if it was a Muslim group that was, they wouldn't at be the protecting. Bean, yes, at the bean, like um, all these right wing groups would be like, why are they bothering us? Yeah, they should leave us alone. It'd be, it'd be, it would be a moot point really quick. Or it, or a Jewish per, our, a Jewish group. Our next guess, if like they 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 say that. Uh, uh, doctors have a First Amendment right uh, not to provide uh, abortion counseling to patients, or nurses have a First Amendment right, protected right, but they don't defend the right of a doctor to give abortion counseling to a. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, no, no, I know. That's what I'm saying. They're just using it for when they want to use it. It's a weapon that they want to use when they can use it. But yeah. when anybody else says it's a First Amendment right, they said you're terrorists and yeah. trying to spread sh- sh- we call it sharia sharia law so it's it's they call it sharia law uh, yeah so i believe i would i would have more sympathy for them if i saw them standing up let's say and then you know th- do you remember this incident that happened last year where this evangelical guy was trying to there's this um indigenous group or i i think they're just a group of people near an indian near india an island where nobody touches they just don't have any contact with the outside world this guy wanted to preach to them they like shot, you know, they put, they kind of give him a warning and like fire oh, yeah, arrows at this. him yeah. and then he ends up dying yeah. and it's like, 
get to get a, get a hint. Like if people aren't interested, uh, I, and I, I know, I know his, I remember he really felt down, very yeah. strongly. Yeah. So it was an interesting case. Cause this reminded me, I don't know why it reminded me of him. Not that anybody's going to sling arrows at these kids. Ramana Hussein, like you were born to be a columnist. All right. So. Uh, let's, before I let you go, it's that moment of the show. Ramana's recommendations. Uh, what do you got on the, uh, to offer folks? I was going to say, I bet you want to watch last blood. That's the Rambo, the latest oh, Rambo no, movie. I didn't like the original Rambo. <laughs> I'm S- totally joking. But did Sylvester you see Sylvester Stallone had an opportunity to serve in the Vietnam War and he didn't, but so he made Rambo. Uh, did you see Richard Roper's column? The only reason, because no. somebody mentioned it, his line is, this is not a movie, this is mutilation porn. That's what his yeah. uh, column starts off. I'm just joking about yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I still want to see Hustlers. Um, I was going to just recommend, I don't know. I was telling, talking to you about Lily Singh, the Canadian Indian woman who's uh, his, who's the latest uh, host to get. Uh, she's on a late night spot, so I've been kind of watching her. I she's somebody that a lot of Indians have been watching. I told you Indian, Indians will watch anything with another Indian, and she actually started <laughs> off becoming famous because she did YouTube videos and she did it like you know just being. A, you know, South Asian woman and just kind of talked about her parents and she did these little skits and everybody thought it was funny that she's been accused of cultural appropriation because a lot of the younger Indian kids are talk black. So you have to watch the show. Oh, yeah. Me and my older sister were talking about there. We're like, you know, we can see why people are offended by that. Maybe she needs to tone that part down. But Aquafina the same way. Yeah. Aquafina the same thing. And these are two young Asian American women. And, you know, she has the she has the braids, the cornrows. And so people are just like, oh, God, you know, and but she's I think she's pretty funny in general and i'm trying to give her a chance so i've been watching clips i i used to watch late night talk shows i don't anymore so i've been watching her on youtube i follow her on twitter so that's just my recommendation for people to get her support let's tie it all together i'm a big fan of trevor Noah. i watch him all the time oh he's good all right so he does every kind of accent you can imagine oh he's great yeah so is that offensive when he does an accent uh, uh you know when, when people of color do other people of color it's a little less offensive i i admit i you know it's it's a little less annoying i guess that's what you can say i know i know indian people i don't know as speaking as a south asian like when i see someone culture appropriating something that Indian people do or making jokes. If it's another person of color, it's a little less offensive. Yeah. I admit. I, that's the way I think. Well, what about Dave Chappelle uh, doing the uh, imitation? I of the would probably laugh at that a little, but I don't, you know, for him to say that, oh, it's fine. You know, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of Asians who would think it's offensive, but you know, him saying, oh, you know, my wife's Asian, so I can do it. Yeah. Well, no, but, it's, it's, it, he, his uh, imitation is straight out of Mickey Rooney. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I know. Uh, I have a watched it a friend of mine who's who a friend a young friend of mine was like did you watch the dave Chappelle show yet and i said no i don't know i don't know if i'll laugh at it and he started he started making fun of me no, I've, he, I've watched it twice now so i've watched it for you and my recommendation to you and everybody else uh, is to go see official secrets you should see it yes not, tell uh, me tell me in a nutshell what it's about well really fast i've talked about it a lot uh and <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, that dog has just entered the studio. Uh, and, That's what uh, I thought. I thought I was seeing things. I saw something move. I love it when my guests show up early. Um, anyway, uh, Official Secrets, I've talked about it a lot in the show. I urge everybody to see it. It tells the tale of how uh, U.S. intelligence were trying to get British intelligence to spy on United Nations delegates in order to get blackmail information uh, to force them into voting for uh, the war, the invasion of Iraq. Uh, so it's really important chapter about... Uh, 
the war in Iraq, which we're we're still we have still have soldiers mm-hmm. uh, getting killed in the Middle East there. But uh, there's a it, along those lines for you. Uh, there's a bit about journalists. I don't want to give too much of it away, but I found it really revealing. Was it realistic? I thought it was of- real. I thought it was realistic. It was about the struggles of a newspaper trying to figure out what they can publish, and uh, and then it doesn't quite work out the way they want to. And the reason it doesn't work out, I found to be very realistic. That's all I'm going to say. Any journalist out there it didn't get a lot of hits. Is that like uh, no? This is pre hits. I know. I know. I'm totally joking. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's my recommendation. And I'm going to see um, what is it? The Hustlers. Uh, Hustlers. I'm definitely going to see Hustlers. I can't see it this weekend. I'm going to a wedding, but I'm definitely. Oh, we'll have fun at the wedding. Thank you very much. That's a great Romana Hussein. Uh, every Friday, it's the Romana Rundown. And then uh, she's going to do double duty next week. She's going to be... Uh, please please make the questions easy. <laughs> oh you already... Tailor to me. You, <laughs> you already showed your uh, great prowess by knowing it was Maine North, right? Or yeah, I knew, it was, I knew it was in Niles North because I went to Niles West. We all would have been all excited about it. But you know, the buses in Ferris Bueller days off, those are the buses that serviced our schools you know what i think that may be a trivia question what schools <laughs> buses were in ferris bueller's day off for 10 trivia points. niles township all right uh, terry cosgrove on deck we're going to bring him on it's cecile richards we're going to try to find her in new york city or washington wherever she is we'll be right back Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. TC Terry Cosgrove is in the studio from Personal Pack T. Uh, you have a very special event you want to talk about and a very special guest that the doctor is lining up right now. So tell everybody about it. Thank you, Ben. I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, Personal Pack's annual awards luncheon is Monday, this Monday coming up, uh, September 23rd at the Chicago Hilton. We have well over 1,200 people there, and we are so excited to have Cecile Richards, former president of Planned Parenthood, our letters 
speak for herself, who is the keynote speaker. And uh, we are honoring Hope Clinic from Southern Illinois, is a abortion care provider and uh, U.S. Congressperson Jan Joukowsky. So very excited about it. Tickets um, can be bought by calling the office right now before 5 o'clock, 312-422-0005, 312-422-0005. If you're listening to this after 5 o'clock on Friday the 20th, uh, show up there, go to Solution Seating, and we'll find you a seat and take your money. Yes, <laughs> Terry will take your money. Yeah. I'll take, take your, your money. money, then find you a seat. Uh, I get that the wrong way. All right, what time does the the, uh, the, the VIP show. reception starts at 11, the luncheon starts at noon, and you're not going to want to miss it. Everyone is going to be there, including Ben Gerard. Yeah, no, so Terry has invited me, and they put me in the big decision. Where are you going to put them? <laughs> Great table. Wait, what table? It's the fun table, yeah. man. We're, yeah. Woo, we're going to yeah. party down. Uh, Dee, did you uh, get Cecile Richards? I believe we have Cecile Richards on the line. Cecile, are you there? I sure am. Hi. What's going on, Cecile Richards? Ben Jarofsky here from the Ben Jarofsky Show. And uh, in the studio with me, with me is, say your name. Terry okay. Cosgrove. Hello, Cecile. Hey, Terry. How are you? Okay. Oh, my God. What I a know. thrill. Oh, we are so I looking... can't wait to see you. I know. Monday, uh, we'll... Well, it's going to be great. I know. And we have a huge crowd. We have over 1,200 people coming now. So, Hey, Cecile Rich. Oh, I'm so happy. Is Cecile Rich, how come you're not so happy to hear my voice? <laughs> She's like, who's that guy? Then, then you've got to work a long time to be to be as good a friend with me as Terry is. So well, I'm sorry. you just like, you got to right. get in line there. Okay, okay take it away, Ben. <laughs> take it away. All right, Cecile Richards, uh, I know who you are, and Terry knows who you are, but why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself? Let's talk. Uh, talk about your sure. past. Uh, Cecile Richards is from Texas. And of course, your mom is the great Ann Richards. So help, help our uh, uh, millennial listeners out a little bit. Talk, Cecile, about your mom and her legacy in Texas. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, you know, for some folks, Ann Richards isn't um, is is a distant memory, but she was, of course, the first and only pro-choice woman governor of the state of Texas. And for people who look at Texas politics now, that may seem like like a, a miracle that she was elected, and and actually it probably was. Although it's kind of interesting, Texas is, is is changing. We're going, we're heading there on this bus trip that I'm on. Um, but anyway, she was um, she was a progressive, an unrepentant feminist, and um, it would it's it's really sad to see what's happened to abortion rights and basically just healthcare access for folks in Texas since those days. But anyway, that right. was that's who she was, right. and um, I. And for as far as myself, I would I was, had the honor of working for Planned Parenthood for the past 12 years, and left uh, about a year ago, and have started a new effort to get women out uh, in civically involved. It's called Supermajority, and I'm on a bus tour all across the country. So I'm actually calling you from Pittsburgh today. But going to end up in Chicago on Monday. All right. Now, before uh, we, we, we fast forward to what you're doing with supermajority uh, and how Democrats can win Texas, I think Texas is uh, there for Democrats to take in the 2020 election. Talk about the themes that your mom articulated back in 1990 uh, that were successful for her. And maybe Democrats running today can learn from that. I know she was a one-term governor, but obviously there were some issues that she championed in order to get elected because the odds were against her back then as well, Cecile? I guess what I'd say, um, Ben, is that I don't know that it was simply any issues. It was actually more running the kind of grassroots campaign that allowed people to believe they could be part of politics. And really, 
he ran on a on a platform of opening up government to all the people of Texas. Um, it had been historically run by pretty much the same group of people forever, you know, just kind of exchange their faces. But, you know, it was mainly men, mainly white men. And I think of, in the four years that mom was governor, probably the most important, long-lasting um, impact she had was she basically put into, you know, nominated and put onto boards and commissions more uh, women, people of color, LGBTQ folks than all the previous governors in Texas combined, which is kind of staggering. But it did begin to set a precedent. And um, no, actually, what's kind of fun is I go back to Texas now and some of the folks who were interns for mom are now serving in the state legislature. And it's um, it really did kind of open up the, the, the doors to a gover state government looking more like the people that it represented. I think it, I mean, I guess the lesson for today is kind of what we saw in 2018, which is when you actually welcome people in and you let different kinds of folks run, you get uh, expanded turnout by voters because they feel like they're part of the process. And you do things like what happened in the United States House of Representatives, where you now have more women, more people of color than ever before. So I think there's Definitely, in some ways, history repeating itself a bit. And uh, are you uh, optimistic that the Democrats can take Texas in 2020 in terms of the uh, the presidential race? Um, ben, I don't mean to say it this way, but have you ever been to Texas? <laughs> I've been to Texas. Be uh, I'll tell you, I was in no, I was at a I wedding in that. Dallas once. That's my. There you go. Okay. Well, that then that's bragging rights right there. I think. Look, this is the thing about Texas. It's actually not that unlike some other states. Texas. Uh, I, I think. I think it's Richard Murray, uh, the pollster in Houston, that says this. Texas isn't a red state or a blue state. It's a non-voting state. And when people expand the electorate, anything can happen. And actually, that's of course what happened with Beto's race. Beto O'Rourke, who just ran against Ted Cruz and came so close to beating him. You had people engaged in voting and registering other folks and turning out voters that had never been involved in politics. And to me, that's really, I mean, the, the state's demographics are changing. We're seeing a record number of women and people of color running. In fact, one of the interesting things, Terry, you'll love this. There's John Cornyn is up for re-election, the United States right. senator, um, who's really kind of underwater in the polls. There are four women running in the Democratic primary to 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 replace him. So it's it's, it's really a very different, yeah, different kind of scene down there. I didn't make mean to make fun uh, either of you or my home state, but it is it's. It will be a big thing if, if Texas goes blue. I think all the elements are there. It's just, um, you know, it's been a long, long time since we've had a statewide uh, Democratic elected official, I, I, almost since mom was elected. Yeah, no, it would be a big thing. And that's why I really hope it does go blue. <laughs> I mean, that would just, <laughs> that's why I've been urging, not that anybody who runs a Democratic Party would listen to me, Cecile, uh, for whoever the nominee is, put somebody from Texas on the ticket and just send that person down to Texas and have them campaign and mm -hmm. That would be giving Trump fits <laughs> as if the polls started showing that Texas was in play and that Texas could go Democrat because that would upset the electoral map. Yeah. Trump's always talking about playing where the Democrats are strong and stealing their thunder. Why don't the Democrats for once uh, do that, uh, play that tactic yeah. with Republicans? What do you think of that idea? Well, I think, look, I, I do think folks in Texas, particularly Democrats and progressives in Texas, often feel like they've been sort of left 
left aside that people come and raise money and that they don't reinvest. But there are people who have been doing hard work, building grassroots organizations and political power down there now for several years, and it's beginning to pay off. Um, actually, Harris County, which is where Houston, that's Houston's county, is the most diverse uh, county in the country now, I believe. And they elected more than a dozen African-American women to the judiciary in Harris County and a very young uh, woman, really new to politics, as a county judge. And that's, to me, a sign of how things are changing in a pretty uh, dramatic, dramatic fashion. Now, whether it can happen this time or not, I don't know. But it's so important that people invest there, that we have, for the first time, there will be folks competing in every single congressional race, no matter how hard they seem. And that, to me, is how you kind of rebuild a real progressive infrastructure in the state. It's exciting. Uh, Cecile, one of the things I discovered when I was reading about you is that you're, uh, when you got out of college, one of your first jobs, you were a union organizer. Talk about uh, yes. the, the union movement uh, in this country and how it could find alliance, let's say, with groups like uh, Terry's personal PAC that are uh, fighting for mm-hmm. reproductive rights. How are, how are these interests, where do these interests intersect? Well, I think they they intersect because people, in, particularly women in this country, feel like they're losing their rights. And I mean, we just finished a, a big poll with supermajority, and there is this um, really very dramatic sense. And not only women feel this way, men feel like women are losing their rights too. Uh, and it's it is not it's about certainly access to safe and legal abortion, access to birth control, access to Planned Parenthood. But it's also um, access to having a union on your job and having representation. So I, and of course, the labor movement has changed so much um, since I uh, first started organizing. You know, a majority of a lot of unions now are women, and so they, they, and they don't see all these issues as disconnected, as separate issues. And Terry, of course, knows this better than anyone. He's, you know, one of the most genius political organizers in the country. Women see these issues um, as they are all related to how they can live their lives and make their own decisions uh, about issues that are about their health, about their economic situation, about their family size. And I I think this is and, and I also want to shout out the reproductive justice movement has really been far ahead of everyone else on this, too, is understanding that women see these see these issues as all deeply interconnected. We're really excited, actually. I mean, we're meeting up with labor folks today here in Pittsburgh um, at, with the supermajority uh, movement. And, and I see that across the country is that labor women are really excited to be working with women uh, across a, a whole set of issues, including reproductive issues. So, so- yeah, I just want to say one thing I, you know, one thing that I definitely notice as someone who looks at Springfield and our state government, but I think one thing that unites us all, our enemies are all the same. I mean, Trump is going after labor. Um, he's going after reproductive right. rights. He's going after LGBTQ people. So that's what I have seen in, in terms of uniting all of us more than ever, and not to mention people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have seen that that has, and since Trump's been elected, that we're all waking up going, in fact, I was stunned a, um, a um, leading United Auto Worker uh, per, union person bought a premium ticket to our lunch and is going to be there on Monday. And I couldn't believe it, but it's like it just showed the, um, you know, we have come out in favor of the fair tax in Illinois as, 
around reproductive rights. Well, that's a big deal to uh, to union people. And so I think there's there's just been this natural as well as intentional coalition building that's been going on. And we realize we're all in the same boat, too. I mean, that's it. Yep. All right, Cecile, I'll talk about, yep. go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? Oh, I know. I think, no, Terry's making such a good point. And I mean, I know when, you know, we were facing defunding by Congress that, uh, you know, the labor movement stood with Planned Parenthood because exactly what you're saying, Terry, one is they recognized that, it's, you know, just basically movement by movement and organization by organization, the same people were trying to completely undermine and destabilize any movement of working people, women, um, civil rights. And so I do think that it's, it was really unbelievably important to see. I also think, and again, I just have to give Terry um, so much credit here of what he's built in Illinois. It also makes a difference to folks in organized labor when you've, you have also developed your political power and stand with each other in times of crisis or opportunity. So I do think that, you know, Terry really was so far ahead um, and personal pack was so far ahead of the rest of the country in saying it's not enough to just be ex, you know experts at delivering uh, health services. You actually also have to build the political muscle to ensure that people have the access to those services. And I do think that Illinois is a great example of that. And that's great to hear about the UAW. Uh, Cecile, tell, tell people what supermajority is and uh, talk about your bus tour. So, uh, you know, we kicked up a bus tour, it seems like months ago, it was only uh, actually on Sunday, in Atlanta, Georgia, with Stacey Abrams, um, of course, a woman who, if all the votes had been counted, would be the governor of that state today. And we went through Birmingham, Alabama, and into Florida, South Carolina, um, Washington, and now we're headed through the Midwest. And really, supermajority started um, back in um, the latter part of the spring as an effort to begin to provide training and support uh, and connective tissue to the millions of women in this country who are raising their hand and saying, I got to do something to change the direction of what's happening in America. And it's really exciting. Um, I, we started this with Alicia Garza, one of the founders of the Global Black Lives Matter movement, who's been on the road with me, uh, and Ai-jen Poo, who's from Chicago, who is the national head of the domestic workers, and friends from the from both Planned Parenthood and the labor movement. And the idea is that, you know, if, if all the women who uh, are already organizing across issue could come together and exert um, enough uh, sort of political uh, energy in one direction, and or hope next year to run the largest woman-to-woman -woman voter contact program in the country. We can change politics not only in 2020, but frankly for the for the rest of this century. And you'll be rolling in uh, to Chicago in the bus this Sunday. Is that correct? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be on the. I, I'm going to actually have to come over from Milwaukee um, and make a quick trip over to Chicago. I think the bus is going to roll right through, uh, and then I'm going to meet up with the bus again. But uh, you can you can watch us online. It's a beauty of a bus, uh, believe me. And I'm sorry that we're not going to be able to make a make a stop in uh, in Chicago. All right. I just saw a movie about Bob Dylan on a bus, and he actually was driving the bus. It was a doc. 
documentary about Bob. Are you driving the bus? Yes. Yeah, so are you driving the bus like Bob Dylan? No one's letting me. No. No. Get They're away from me. They wouldn't let me bus. drive either. Uh, all right. So, so why don't you, uh, since you're going to be coming to town to talk to Personal Pack, sort of, if you will, just a, a state of the state in terms of reproductive rights in the country right now. We've talked about this so much on our show about uh, how uh, Republicans are just doing a counterattack throughout in so many states. Uh, what's your sense of where we are right. in reproductive rights? Well, I mean, I think there is a deep sense of uh, concern among people all across the country, and we're seeing more and more folks beginning to take a page from what Personal PAC has done uh, and build power at the state level. Because as we know now with Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, there is absolutely no way um, to, uh, to be assured that the rights that we've had for more than 40 years in this country to safe and legal abortion will continue under this administration. I mean, that is, it's just, it's frightening. And I think the encouraging thing is what I'm seeing, and I think that's partly even what we're seeing uh, in, in this supermajority tour, is women coming off the sidelines, realizing they have to be politically active because we can't, nothing is guaranteed for us anymore, and particularly under this administration. Um, I do, you know, so I, I both worried um, because we know that many women in this country do not have, many pregnant people do not have access to safe and legal abortion, but I am encouraged by the outpouring of not only women, frankly, this is a majoritarian issue in America. And as, as Terry knows, and certainly Marcy Love knows, it is not even a partisan issue uh, for most people. It's a deeply personal issue. I just think it's important that people recognize that who you put in office is dramatically, it is the most direct impact on whether people um, maintain access to services. Uh, absolutely. I feel, what's One of the things I find frustrating, Cecile, is that when I see like the extreme uh, laws that are being passed when the state, like the state of Alabama, uh, I think it was Alabama, right, T? Mm -hmm. uh, and Alabama, yes, Alabama, where they would throw a doctor in jail uh, for providing an abortion. And I see so much in the media that that's like given equal treatment to something like in the state of Illinois, uh, where we passed a law that preserves the rights of women to have an abortion, even if Roe is overturned. And I, I find that very disappointing disconcerting, Cecile, that oh, it's like they're treated as equals. Do you follow it? Oh, well, there's an extremist in Alabama right. and then the extremist in Illinois. I'm like, how are those the, the same? How are those two equal? Well, I know, and I'm constantly saying to people that all our Illinois law did was take all the bad stuff off the books. I mean, we really didn't do anything that that, that was that progressive. We said that low that we took away the the 40-year Medicaid restriction with House Bill 40. We all the spousal consent and all those horrible laws that were enjoined from the 70s, all the, our, the Reproductive Health Act did was take away those and say that private insurance companies also have to cover abortion. Mm -hmm. So when people say, I, I hear people, legislators and other people say to me, I'm so tired of the extremes. Well, we're not the extremes, yeah. you know, so I get it. And, and we have to push back on that. Do you feel the same way, Cecilia? I totally agree. I, I do think, and again, I know, you know, we just finished this research that really underscores that the overwhelming majority of people in this country, though, are they're not concerned that that women are, or pregnant people have too many rights. They're deeply right. concerned that they're actually that we are going backwards. And so I, I think even though, yes, the reporting can be frustrating. Of course, it's hard to follow for a lot of folks what, what's happening in Alabama and Missouri and South Carolina and all these other states. But I think there is a 
there is a um, deep awareness and, and, and unsettledness in the country that, in fact, this government is taking away people's rights. And I can't remember a time in my life and that was such a um, deeply held um, belief. And I think it will result in ab- absolutely more engagement in, in the, the 2020 election. All right, Cecile Richards, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to talk to us. Absolutely. And, no, uh, you too, and hope to hope to meet you, Ben and, and Terry. I look forward to seeing you in Chicago yes. and all of your fans. Um, uh, so wow. congratulations! Already, you <laughs> You're going to see a room full of Terry Cosgrove fans. Good <laughs> God! That's right. They are. Uh, all right. Thank you very much. Get back on that bus. Okay. All right. Thank all you, right, Cecile. See you soon. Okay. okay. The Bye. great Cecile Richards uh, from Planned Parenthood. You speak from Planned Parenthood. Uh, that was a lot of fun talking to her, TC. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to meet her in person and hear from her again with a great speech, uh, Monday, uh, September 23rd, in a few days at the Chicago Hilton, 720 South Michigan. Uh, tickets on sale till 5 o'clock on Friday at 312 422 0005, or just show up at the hotel, come to Solution Seating, and we will take your money and find you a seat. <laughs> uh, it is a fundraiser. Uh, <laughs> and actually, it's our big event of the year and and the money that we raise there allows us to elect pro-choice candidates that protect reproductive rights so this is and everybody who uh has heard terry uh, on my show uh he's a practitioner of pragmatic politics okay and it's it's essentially to uh write the laws you have to win the elections thank you Okay. Thank you. Duh. <laughs> Would you repeat that again? Because I think there's some people out there. <laughs> to write the laws, you have to win the elections. And this is something that Terry and I agree. Or better put, my favorite, one of my favorite personal phrases is, winners make policy, losers make noise. <laughs> wow. I never, I, have you said that on this show? No, I've now, said ter- it privately to Okay. You. Terry and I have not always agreed on who we are going to vote for in a primary. We've been known to disagree on that from time well, to time. You've been wrong. I've been right. Okay. Uh, In fact, uh, Terry just handed me this note here about uh, Monday's event here. What's this? <laughs> Dress code, bring big boy pants. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, and, uh, but we're pretty much eye to eye on once the primary is over, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's, let's not mess around. And, well, uh, once the primary is over for president, I don't care if it's a lobotomized flea who's the Democratic nominee. We have to get behind whoever the person is and not have a repeat of 2016. That's correct. I think is what you're saying. Yes, that. Uh, that is what I'm saying. And then 500 people walking out on the Democrat at the Democratic National Convention when when she took the podium to give her acceptance speech. We can't let that happen again. It doesn't matter who the nominee is. We all have to get behind yes, that person. And, and of course, let's not forget the role that uh, President Putin played in all that. Yes. Okay, let's not look the other way. All right, come I'm on, Democrats. Not looking the other way. Uh, it, was, it was more than Donald Trump. He had some help, uh, some little troll sneaking into yeah. a computer somewhere to steal the goodies. Is Monroe Anderson here? <laughs> <laughs> Monroe Anderson. Yeah, Monroe Anderson knows what happened in the 2016 election. He's not. He doesn't have his head in the sand. Uh, so anyway, uh, Terry, you're going to give a speech, right? Yes, I am. Have yeah. you written it yet? Oh, of course I have. Let's yeah, hear I work it. on it yeah. for months. Let's, yeah, let's hear the speech. The most... 
Good Morning America. <laughs> uh, no, you have to show up wait, to hear it. You um, can't. I, I don't give the speech for free. So, okay. Does Jen, <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I, know, I know. You want to hear Terry's speech? <laughs> um, so is Jen Schakowsky going to give a speech as oh, well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, this is going to be, I mean, I am so, I think this is probably going to be our best one ever. I really do. Uh, the the people who are going to be there and I'm not at liberty to say everyone because they're press people I have to handle that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, we're we're going to have well over 1,200 people, maybe 1,300, 1,400 people there. And uh, it is going to be, we have so many state representatives, senators, uh, Cook County officials, statewide officials, uh, you know, Jesse White, Mike Frerichs. I mean, no, it is going to be, it, it's going to be a phenomenal event in Cecile's speech and Hope Clinic. I mean, I I cannot wait for the for the people there to hear the story of this clinic that's on the other side of the of of the river from St. Louis because Missouri will be the first state if this happens to have not a single abortion provider if that one remaining clinic is shut down which is what the state of Missouri is having to do which will leave a million women without access to the reproductive health care they deserve and Eric Dr. Eric Aaron King who runs Hope Clinic just 10 miles on the other side of the border who's half her patients now are from Missouri so to put this in perspective, there are women that are having to drive 8, 9, 10, 12 hours from the western end of Missouri or Kansas all the way over to Illinois to take a pill that is safer than an Advil or a Tylenol to terminate a pregnancy that they cannot and will not carry. Mm. That's, what we're, that's what we're forcing women to do. And if they're a young woman and they get to Illinois, they're going to find out about our parental notice law, which means is a whole nother barrier, which we must repeal. Yeah. yeah. All right. One more time. One clinic in the entire state of Missouri. Did yes. I get that correct? Yes. In St. Louis. So it's on the way on the eastern end right. of the state. So all those women on the western end and the and rural women have really no choice. Now, uh, do you think this is a an issue uh, that could turn... Missouri politics? Yeah, I, and I think what Cecile said, I think the, you know, she said a lot of important things, but the one thing that I, my ears really perked up about was that survey that she talked about, the poll they just did and said that she's never seen people get understanding so deeply and viscerally um, how much uh, women are under attack, women's rights are under attack. And, uh, and so I hope that that will, that will lead to a lot of surprises. I mean, the, I mean, we, we have two things to do on the national level. First of all, she was right. Everything's at the state level. And I'm just giving away a little bit of my speech here. I'm so fortunate that 30 years ago, Marcy Love and a bunch of women got together and started a personal pack. And it's debatable whether or not they made a mistake of hiring me, but that's here. <laughs> history will judge that. Yeah. But the, if we, if we do not elect a new a, a Democratic president and get rid of Mitch McConnell in the Senate, uh, we're in for uh, you know a horrible future. And I hope that people make the connection between, you know, I've always say to people, if you're not anxious right now, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So the only way I hope this anxiety, this trepidation, this fear that people are carrying around about the future make it translate into politics. That is our solution. You know, um, sitting around and watching, you know, I do my share of MSNBC and CNN and everything, but we've got to get out. We have to get involved. We have to 
if everyone went out and found one person who never voted before, get them registered and make sure they vote on election day, that would make the difference. Well, that's the part of. So I'm hoping that will happen in places like Missouri, yeah, and Texas, uh, and Texas, the, yeah. The part that I North Carolina, Florida. The yeah. part that I underlined, she said, expanding electorate, and right. uh, we talk about this so much in the show. It's sort of like the conflicting. Uh, ideas about where the Democrats should go to win back the Senate to defeat Trump. Uh, and I'm a big believer in expanding the electorate. And to do that, you have to fire up your base. And so I was really encouraged to hear uh, Cecile Richards yeah. talk about that. If you're going to take, yeah. there's, there's another school of thought uh, that says, well, you just try to win over Trump voters. Your base is just going to come out yeah. anyway. And I, yeah. I'm not buying that. Right. Uh, so uh, I was really well, happy but there, to hear you know, that. The, the, I, the practical problem, and as someone who deals with practical politics and raises money, you're sitting there with a pool of money, and, you, and you're looking at a voter file, and you say, okay, you have this group of voters over here that you have to communicate with, and so there's kind of a hierarchy. You have to make sure that your the base and the people that you want to come out and vote are communicated with, and they're fired up, and then from there, if you have money left over, you can go to the second tier and say, okay, we're going to go after occasional voters, because you can... There's voter history, so you know who's voted in the last presidential, the last off-year election, and you have to make sure those people come out. So so it's not, I mean, it, it's fine to talk about it theoretically, but when it comes to a campaign, you really have to look at the, at at the demographics you're dealing with and how much money you have to communicate because it's expensive whether you're doing it on social media, on TV, on radio, or in print and direct mail. You only have finite amount of resources to spend, which is why I focus so much on raising money because I was able to drop hundreds of thousands of dollars in a few state rep rates at the end with six weeks to go and we won them. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't have the money to do that, I couldn't have run TV. I couldn't have dropped six pieces of mail. I couldn't have made uh, um, 75,000 phone calls yeah. in each district. Speaking of which, we had a, a blast talking about uh, how Jeannie Ives district in Wheaton, yeah. uh, the Democrats, that is such a long shot, T. I don't know. It's not. I, no, it's not. 52 no. to 48 was the last one. You're right. right. And hardly any money was yeah. spent there. So it was. Wouldn't uh, that be something? And an off year election. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I want to just give a piece of history, and I don't know how much longer you want me to go on, but I remember in the 2000s, the Democratic plurality that came out of Cook County was 350,000 votes. DuPage County alone came out with 350,000 that offset the Cook County. Now, all but a few elected offices in DuPage County are held by Democrats. Yeah, no, the, the, the trend Foster, is... yeah, Caston, uh, Underwood, Underwood mm -hmm. as well as all the state reps and state senators that are now representing DuPage County. And uh, so... Um, Maybe Jeannie Ives' district is next. All right, Terry yeah. Cosgrove, I'll see you uh, Monday at Personal Packs. Yes. What time again? 11 a.m. is the VIP reception, and you sign in, show up, uh, take your money, bring your money, buy a ticket. We'll find a seat for you. And, and uh, the luncheon is at noon. noon. So if you can't get there till noon, come. We'll find a place for you. Yeah. All right, very good. TC, Terry Cosgrove, Doris Davenport on deck. Can't wait to talk politics with her. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Boy, he loves Jeff Manuel. This Sunday, downloadable at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. It's a Benny J bonus interview with the Sun-Times reporter by the name of Robert Hergeth. He does this thing called the FBI Files. Get a load of the FBI Files here. The initials FBI conjure up distinct images of J. Edgar Hoover, Tommy Guns, and gangsters. But behind closed doors, you'll mainly find records. The FBI keeps A to Z files on people, places, and events, many of which become public over time. The Chicago Sun-Times has been collecting bureau files as they pertain to Chicago and Illinois, all compiled in a new database. Featuring religious figures and their followers, politicians, media and the mob, the villains and the victims. This is FBI Files by the Chicago Sun-Times. Start your search today at suntimes.com. Seriously, check it out. FBI Files. Just Google FBI Files Sun-Times. And for more on the creator of the FBI Files, Robert Hergeth, download Sunday's Benny J bonus interview. ChicagoSunTimes.com forward slash pages. Jarofsky, ChicagoReader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show coming up. Doris Davenport, host of the Davis, uh, Doris Davenport Show, is on deck. She's coming up. Stick around. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. The secret to being a good debater is devotion to the truth. Not winning the argument, but telling the truth, and I think that's what I've heard from and if voters. You, and if you can't do that, fake it. Or <laughs> <laughs> that. Fake it. No, make there, it. Is, there is. A, listen, I mean, President, President Clinton got the kid from hope, and he could. his story was relatable to where people were living their lives. President Obama was about the audacity of hope and what his candidacy embodied and what it meant for them in the country. And it is very important to relate to people and be relatable, where they can understand what what is in here? They're going to pull the hood up, and we've seen it, all of us who've been helping candidates or run ourselves. 
people are going to, the voters that are watching tonight and thinking about becoming Democrats in this upcoming election, they're going to see what moves this. Not just the ideas, but what motivates that idea. Not just what that policy is to that problem, but why do you want to care about that? Why did you put that at the top of the list? Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Doris Davenport in the studio. Doris Davenport in the studio. Love talking politics with Doris Davenport. Before we do that, D, you got an update? Uh, absolutely, I do here. It'll actually be in a few minutes. Because, yeah, well, this computer here. i got to wait for this song to end. Okay. And then I can play a commercial from Lauren Underwood's new opponent. Ooh, get Doris Davenport's thought on this breaking news. Oh, Lauren yeah. Underwood's Coming new up opponent. in minutes, guys. All right, we're just playing that song. It's fading out. And now it's gone. It's turned down. It's uh, not off yet. Oh, all right. Anyway, Go ahead. When you're ready, uh, we'll bring up uh, Lauren Underwood. All right, Doris Davenport, uh, host of the Doris Davenport Show on, I'm going to say it. <laughs> not quite there yet, Doris. Anyway, good friend of my show, that's for sure. Uh, WCPT oh, 820. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. Come on, she's here. Where yeah. facts matter. Yeah, where yeah. facts matter, except when Ben says them. Um, anyway, uh, now that's old history. I'm all over that. All right. Uh, and I truly, uh, I've turned the page. Doris, watch. Well, Ben, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yes, that was the page turning. Um, all right. Uh, God, there's so much I have on the list to talk to you about. And uh, at the top of the list uh, is, well, let's, no, let's do this at the top of the list, Chicago Sun-Times. Ah. Let's just start with that. Uh, my beloved Bright One, home delivered as always, uh, had a front page story uh, by uh, Mark Brown. Great job, in my humble opinion. Uh, Fritz's floodplain flap, the assessor's fix for well-heeled North. titles too, that, that headline's too much. <laughs> what, you don't like the Fs? Yeah. Fritz's floodplain flap. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Andrea Rayla was on the show. She kind of um, let the, hat, the the cat out of the bag. And this one was a couple weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah. She was. She kind of dug this up. And this is the fact. This gets into the nitty gritty. Uh, I got to give Mark Brown credit. He wasn't afraid to take that deep dive into how our crazy, insane property tax system works. Uh, and so the net effect is the bottom line is that the assessor's office has reassessed property uh, in the some of the wealthiest corners of uh, Nutria Township, which is NECA, Womad, et cetera, and so forth. Some of the richest homes, Doris Davenport, are going to get a break on their taxes because they are supposedly, and I'm doing this in air quotes, in a <laughs> floodplain they're in a floodplain where well, they've been in a floodplain for years right. the most expensive property 
all of a sudden they're getting a tax break. Good God. Uh, anyway, so Andy Arela, shout out to you. You broke the story here. Great job by Mark Brown. This The property tax system is insane. Doris. It really is insane. And I think what's going to happen, I mean, if you read that article, and I say kudos to Mark Brown as well, <clears throat> you know, Andre Arela, who Studs Terkel fondly called the prime minister of property taxes, yeah. you know, when she sees something, she speaks out about it. Well, she didn't realize it was going to be all of this, right? She knew something was wrong, something was off. She started getting phone calls from clients. You know, what is this? Am I really going to get a, um, a windfall mm-hmm. of a tax relief like this? <clears throat> and when you really look at it, you've got people who had um, their taxes might have been something like, I don't know, $89,000 in 2017. The triennial, the triennial reassessment took place in 2018 in Nutria. Their taxes went up some. Uh, maybe I think the average was 16, 17%. But then there's this floodplain overlay that gets placed on Nutrier. Now, I think what Mark Brown, what kudos to you, Ben Jarofsky, because Mark Brown must have been listening to your podcast to know that this was going on and he took the deep dive. But and really, when you think about it, this floodplain overlay, when was the last time you heard about a flood in Nutrier? Yeah, you've got people who get water damage in their basement, but not to the degree of FEMA coming in and buying homes and 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 they have done that but there are people outside of this flood zone mm-hmm. what are they going to do look I, all right let me break this down doris and then i'm gonna and we, this is how i view it Whew, okay <laughs> our property tax system is utterly absurd Insane. and i think it's really uh counterproductive to put it mildly to have such a dependence on property taxes to fund the Our most schools. basic services, schools. Yeah. All right, so people in New Trier Township are paying a premium in property taxes. They pay a lot of money in property taxes because they're funding one of the great public school systems in the country. And I say that, I'm a graduate of Evanston High School. We were taught to despise New Trier. But I have to concede, they have a heck of a public school system. The things they offer their kids are second to none. And so they pay for it. All right. So I think it's unfair that all the towns and cities in the state of Illinois uh, have to rely on a property tax base to fund their schools. Because let's face it, most of these towns and schools don't have the money, the wealth that Nutrier Township has. So they can't afford to pay all that money. So it's an advantage to Nutrier. Now we get to the issue of this cockamamie floodplain idea which is going to reduce some uh, assessments on some property in some parts of New Trier Township. You know what, New Trierians? Not that I'm getting in your business because I'm not a New Trier fan, but when he lowers the assessment on uh, Billy Bob and mm-hmm. Janie Joe on the east what? side of the street, Susie Sam on the west side. The balance. <laughs> you guys are smart enough to figure that out in New Trier, aren't you? Come on, you're all smart. You went to New Trier High School? Uh, we're really Please smart. Please keep listening our New Trier listeners. I love New you. Trier. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, not really. Come on, Evanston. You can beat New Trier this year. You got to lose to them again. But you get my point? I do. And you know, when I when I, when I look at what Mark Brown brought out, mm-hmm. this this decision to give this gift, this gift to this very select group of homeowners in New Trier, this property tax relief, after this township was closed and certified. Mm-hmm. Now, they say, the assessor's office in this article anyway, they say that... Um, 
the town was certified, it was closed, and they've given put this flood relief overlay on it, and now they're going to work out the algorithm. They're going to work out the numbers. And by the time the um, townships in the southern suburbs open up, they'll be able to hopefully uh, uh, be able to benefit from this as well. My question is, why did they choose Nutrier? Of all the places they could have chosen, why Nutrier? Why this very specific set and group of homes instead of working out the algorithm, work out all the numbers, and at the end of the year when you get to the southern suburbs, Mm -hmm. let that be the first group of homeowners who have been the ones who have suffered the most. Well, the reality is, is that uh, putting aside this cockamamie floodplain issue, all right, for the Mm -hmm. moment, which I have, I got to see evidence that a floodplain designation has affected real estate values in Nutria, some of the most expensive property in the world. So please show me how being on something, the floodplain, First of all, if it's a serious floodplain, why do you allow Nutria? This is a whole other issue. Why do you allow to build houses on a floodplain exactly. to begin with? But put that aside. Mm-hmm. That's Nutria's business, okay? <laughs> be, far be it from me from Evanston to tell Nutria how to do their business. Um, I, I see no evidence. I have to see the evidence mm-hmm. that it's impacted home values. And the reality is, Doris, again, I come back to this. As long as our schools are mm-hmm. dependent on property taxes yeah. for financing, yeah. we're going to have instances like this where one half of the town is going to get a break. The other half of the town is going to pick up the slack. It's not fair. It's just uh, it's in a. Uh, an inequitable way to finance schools and those south suburbs those listen if you suddenly give a break to the south suburbs and their property taxes how are those south suburban schools mm-hmm. going to finance themselves mm-hmm. if we don't if we're so dependent on the property tax do you follow what i'm saying not only you know what you're saying the question that you're asking right now as we speak over at the thompson center as we speak a meeting is taking place it is a meeting of the newly formed uh, President Pritzker signed it into law, the Property Tax Relief Task Force. You mean Governor Pritzker. Uh, Governor Pritzker. Mm-hmm. What did I say? Uh, President Pritzker. Uh, Boy, was that a Freudian <laughs> slip. <laughs> Doris Davenport just announced who she wants to run for president. <laughs> I know you're voting 2024. <laughs> uh, th- there's a meeting taking place yeah. right now with the legislators who were selected to be part of that property tax uh, relief task force. Mm-hmm. And there are a group of angry homeowners there actually Carrying the bright one. Someone sent me a picture. They've all got copies of this uh, newspaper in their hands. And they're over there to make sure that the legislators focus on the things that they should be focusing on. My question also is, when that with that property tax relief task force, originally it was supposed to be community members included. These are only legislators. There's something wrong with that picture. It, it, on a property tax relief task force, who are the experts among the legislators? There should be people who are experts on that task mm-hmm. force. Yeah. Well, I again, I think that uh, this just is um, uh, exhibit A of why we really should push hard for a fair tax. Yeah. Uh, because it really is. It's it's not sustainable to have mm-hmm. such an emphasis uh, on uh, the property tax to pay for education. Uh, and uh, th- this is a great story. I urge everybody to read it. Fritz's flood plane flap. Uh, Mark Brown takes a deep dive on how one half of New Trier, one portion of New Trier is getting a break. Yeah. And just to remind you, New Trierians, that means you other.
other suckers on the other side. You know, everybody's going to want to live in a floodplain now. Uh, I live in a floodplain. Right, because it's going to reduce my taxes at least in half. But this is also why, I know this is not a discussion today, but why we do need to look at consolidating some of these um uh, school districts, because oh my God, that's we a need Dave Hochberg. He, that, he comes on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, your but point. we really need if we want equity in the resources that are available to our kids on the south and west sides of Chicago. We have schools where there are no counselors, there are no gyms, there are no extracurricular activities uh, that the facilities can handle. But if we consolidated some of these school districts and spread that money around, we'd be able to do a lot more for a lot more a, lot, a greater number of I, kids. I hear her. I listen. The city of Chicago right now. Uh, the teachers are in negotiations with the Board of Education, with Lori Lightfoot's administration, uh, on the issue of whether wraparound services will be uh, contractually protected with union jobs, so nurses, social workers, therapists, et cetera, and so forth. Every school would be, the, the union is demanding that every school uh, have a certain number of nurses and librarians and what have you. Uh, these are things that people in New Trier take for granted. Yeah. This is things that uh, people in the wealthier suburbs just assume mm-hmm. they're going to get. This is uh, effectively what the funding schools by property taxes guarantees this kind of inequity. The city of Chicago doesn't have the tax base to pay for all these things, Doris. Mm-hmm. Nutrier does. Guess who gets them? New Trier. Mm-hmm. You don't see people in New Trier going out without social workers or librarians no. or nurses. No. But in the city of Chicago, ah, shut up. You don't need a librarian. <laughs> That's right. Or you have a security guard that just throws the kid down the stairs. Wow. You got a problem? Uh, <laughs> Go deal with it. Uh, that at Marshall High School. You got an update for me, D? I got two updates here. First off, uh, right now posted on both <coughs> Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages and at ChicagoReader.com. It's the latest article from our very own Ben Jarofsky. The article is titled The ROM Advice. Ben, tell everybody what oh, the I would love is. to get Doris Davenport's thoughts on this. Uh, I I've uh, been talking a lot about this on, on the show. Rahm Emanuel, uh, your favorite mayor, uh, has moved on to have a, a career as a, uh, he is, what is he, an analyst on ABC. And as such, he oh, was... Oh, I thought he was an editor with Mother Jones. Uh, no, not Mother. He's also an editor with The Atlantic, the I want to say. He's a very busy guy. All right. He, he's uh, All right. Part of his debate analysis... He got into a, a, a debate within the um, with one of the other panelists. Uh, the, the other panelist was saying that uh, the Democrats should expand the electorate, should do more uh, to bring out their base. And Rom was saying we don't need to worry about bringing out the base in the next election. There, I'm not making this. We could play the tape. Uh, you got the bit. You know, I think progressives are really where the energy is right now. And I think if you can expand the electorate, which is what we saw in 08, bringing out new voters particularly brown and black voters, young voters, energize the base where you don't have to change your message much, right? Just go out and get those voters excited. We can win. But hold on, Ron. I saw you shaking your head real quick. What's the rebuttal here? Well, first of all, Donald Trump is going to do a great job turning out our vote. And in 08, as well as in 92, 96, and in 12, is because both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama brought other people, not just people in the party, other people to the party. All right. I When I heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And if you could see me, I am shaking my head in the negative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 
at Doris Davenport that is everything that's wrong at, with Democratic strategy uh, mm-hmm. in, from the center. And I, the column I wrote urged Democrats not to listen to Rom, not to take yeah. his advice. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's so many things wrong with what Rahm Emanuel is saying. There's so many things wrong with the things he said when he was in office. Um, and, he didn't care about the base when he was here in office, and he's 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 pretty much on that same ticket. One of the things that I think the Democratic Party lacks a lot of is strategy, pure strategy. And we know that when they started to make the decision to take the quote-unquote money out of the streets for organizing, that hurt the Democratic Party. You need money on the streets. It's the same thing that the state and the city are beginning to find out about curbing the violence. You've got to put the resources with those organizations that know and understand what's happening. You've got to put money in organizing the base. Mm -hmm. It is the base where our numbers are. When we look at the apathy and we look at uh, the people who are not coming out to vote. Your base are people who are registered who have a history of voting, but for some reason or another, they're not voting. Typically, it's because they've lost faith in the system. We've had a number of elected officials who've taken office, they've not kept their promises, and the public has not held their feet to the fire. We need to electrify in more ways than not our base. And let me tell you why. You see what's happening today. We have a global climate strike going on. There are Thousands, hundreds of thousands of young people, eligible voters, uh, out there in the streets today. Do you know what groups like the People's Lobby are out there doing? They're hosting um, um, uh, daycare spaces so that the adults can go out and demonstrate. They're giving, they're doing the warm and fuzzy kind of organizing services that the Democratic Party used to do. The Democratic Party used to be, bar none, number one when it came to organizing. We knew what we were doing, but we're not doing it anymore because it's all based on these kind of select groups of people. And the Democratic Party, if we're going to really have a future, has to get out of that. The young people are getting stronger and stronger, but they're being courted by a lot of other groups outside of the Democratic Party. And if the Democratic Party is not smart about courting the base, our seniors, our African-American community, and the young people, and there's a split, as we know, right now among the African-American age group. We're getting, let's 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 get into that. I want to talk about that, but I I, I think all Democrats <laughs> strategists should be on the same page in this one. That just the notion that we don't have to energize the base that somehow or other Donald Trump's presence on the ticket alone. enough alone uh, is is so short sighted. It is. It's almost like they're guaranteed to lose if you just assume people are going to show up mm-hmm. to vote because they dislike Donald Trump. That's not going to work. It didn't work in 2016. And especially in the primary, because you have other credible voices with credible policies that they're offering. I mean, you can't discount Elizabeth Warren. You can't discount Bernie uh, Sanders. You can't discount Kamala Harris. You can't discount these people who are also courting those votes just because you think that people don't want Donald Trump. You got to be offering something very tangible, very specific. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think uh, Cecile Richards, uh, she agreed as well. She's talking about expanding the electorate. If you want to do well in states like Texas, you Uh, want to win the Senate seat in Texas, mm -hmm. you have to expand the election. No, we're just going to run Donald Trump. And Texas is a a state that we can actually, it's it's vulnerable if we 
did something yeah. strategic. Uh, if All right. Now, there was an article in the New York Times that I shared with you. I found it fascinating. And it just reinforced so many things that I see every day on my show. Um, and that has to do with the generational split in the black community mm. regarding Joe Biden. Um, so many of the younger activists who come on this show denounce Joe Biden freely. It's just like... <laughs> Millennial, they ripped the guy. They look at me, Ben. How could you even think of voting for him? Uh, he's not. Just for the record, he's not on my top five. All right, maybe top five, whatever. Uh, and um, so, and then uh, older uh, black voters who come on the show, like, well, you know, I like Joe Biden. And so the article in the New York Times talked about how uh, millennials and Zs, uh, black millennials and black Zs, are trying to get their parents and their grandparents and their uncles and their aunts to try to talk them out of voting for Joe Biden. In some ways, it was kind of a funny story. Uh, and in some ways, it was a reverse of what went down in 2008. That's right, with uh, Barack Obama. Yeah, so what's your take on all this? Yeah, you know, it is very interesting, and I think this is where, again, it leaves the Democrats very vulnerable. I remember back in um, 2008 when Barack Obama was running, even before that, we started to see a split, and, and Barack Obama was the one who was driving that split when he was running for Senate. Uh, 2004 um, was Senate, yeah. He um, really, I remember talking to two of my girlfriends, young professionals, and we said, we want to get behind this guy. He's our peer. We want him to move forward. <clears throat> we did something that hadn't been done before. We organized Oh, my goodness, how many black professionals did we organize in the city of Chicago? Doctors and lawyers and dentists and uh, teachers. And we just organized everybody that we could, raised $50,000 for him, had a huge organizing party. He was floored. He couldn't believe what we had done. At that time, uh, w the buzz began around him. When it came to 2008, the young people had already decided they liked Barack Obama. It was the older black voter generation that was not supportive of Barack Obama. In fact, if you look at the record, it was the older black voters that didn't jump on the bandwagon until the very last minute. He, they were not supportive of him. The young people said, this is who we want. Now, today, the young people are saying, the young blacks are saying, we do not want uh, Barack Obama's vice president. We do not want uh, Joe Biden. And you know what they're looking at is we I think we teach them so much about being the best you can. And um, they look at the flaps, as they call them. Uh, I think the article that you sent me in that article, they were kind of moaning and groaning because a question was asked about to Joe Biden. And he started talking about something very different. Mm. And they said, this is your king. <laughs> so you want this king? Yeah. And the young people are saying they want something different yeah. now there there's no one direction that they're heading in yeah so in a way you know what does that mean well let me ask you this uh when you now doris davenport is younger than i am i'm what I, i'm setting this up she's younger <laughs> than i again. am all right uh but so when you deal with a younger person who tells you mm -hmm. and i've had many conversations that uh they talk idealistically yeah and the older people are, the more quicker they are to be quote unquote pragmatic, which in many cases means uh, 
sort of selling out their values. So many older people I know will say, for instance, there's no way Bernie Sanders will ever get elected. It's impractical to vote for him. You shouldn't waste your vote. That's how they talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, and so many younger people I know say, why would I not vote for the person that I most believe in? Mm -hmm. This is we should we should have the faith that we can make the changes. And the older people were saying the same thing back in the day when they were young. But as part of the process, they get old, you know, it's like <laughs> all crusty and everything. Yeah. Uh, do you find yourself when you're having debates with younger people? Uh, what? playing that old pragmatic card where you say, listen here, Sonny, I could tell you how the world is really, and it doesn't really work that way. Do you find yourself fi saying that kind of thing? You know, I, what I try to tell the young people is I, I really do. And I get, I get a lot of flack for this often, but I, I like to fight from the inside. I'm an outside fighter when I have to be, but I like to fight from the inside. And I tell them, you know, rather than trying to break up the party um, and move somewhere else, Join the party and make your make your arguments known. Mm -hmm. You know, be active. It's if you really want to win. If you've got people, say you've got a group of um, young black voters who don't like Joe Biden, well, you've got some of them going for Kamala Harris. You've got some of them going for um, Yang. You've got some of them going for um, um, uh, any of the others. Mm -hmm. And there isn't any real clear mobilizing and organizing and direction. And that's what I try and tell them. Understand, if you're all splintered, you're not going to get what you want. So it'd be one thing if you were looking at not voting for Joe Biden, but there was some real leadership taking place and real mobilizing an organization, getting behind one or two to make your voices heard. But that's not what's happening. And I think we need to do a better job at really educating, not just talking at young people, but explaining the process and not even just explaining the process, but truly opening the door. We're too insular. We look at each other and we talk to each other and we talk at the young people and we don't make room for them at the table. Well, I, I do find uh, it, it to, to go back to a point you had just made. It, was, it is it, it is beyond the irony that in 2008, quote unquote, young people were advising old fogies yes. uh, to vote for Barack Obama. And the old fogies were saying, there's no way a black guy can win. No yeah. way a black guy can win. Yeah. And uh, the young, young, younger voters proved that fallacy wrong. Yes. Fast forward 11 years later. And the old folkies are saying Joe Biden was Barack Obama's wingman. He stood by Barack Obama, was a very good vice president to him, and mm -hmm. uh, never tried to upstage him. This is, I've heard this a million times. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and he was there whenever Barack needed. So we're going to support him. And now it's the new generation of young people, right? Yeah. Could, probably couldn't even vote too late. And he goes, this guy's an old dinosaur. He can't get a straight sentence out. He talks about record players. He, <laughs> he's friends with segregationists. How could you well, possibly vote for him? Well, I think that's where education matters, too, where we have to talk to and have a, dis a discussion and conversation, because I believe after a presidency with Donald Trump, seniority does matter. You need somebody in the White House who understands the system, who understands the process, who understands that if you want to get a policy passed, it's going to take, what, 200 and something like 60 votes? And if you're somebody who doesn't want to talk to the other side and you don't want to have a relationship with people on the other side because they were the people who enslaved your ancestors, you're never going to get any policy passed. And we need, we need the younger people to truly understand how government works. Yeah. It's a bipartisan effort. Well, and uh, yeah, it, it, uh, the 
Good luck with that argument. I've lost that argument a few times. Yeah. Uh, but but actually, I do remember, uh, God, this is how ancient I am, uh, Harold Washington, when he uh, was in Congress, bragging about how he cut a deal with Strom Thurmond on uh, civil rights. Mm. Strom Thurmond is one of the biggest racists that has mm. ever been elected uh, to the United States Senate. Strom Thurmond was the one who got a walkout <laughs> of the Democratic Party that sort of just uh, precluded all the, 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 the transformation of Democratic white Democrats, white Southerners uh, into Republic, to Republicans. So there's probably no more um, uh, uglier figure in American, recent American politics mm-hmm. than Strom Thurmond. But that was the deal. That was the guy that Harold had to negotiate with mm-hmm. on the civil rights bill. That's who he negotiated with. I remember him talking about right, that. Right. Uh, talking about how, almost how proud he was as a black man that he was forcing Strom Thurmond to make these uh, accommodations. That's the kind of thing Chicagoans want to see today. What, a civil rights bill? Well, no, somebody who's willing to look at the powers that be and say, look, you know, I I sit in the mayor's office, but I'm going to be for the people. Harold Washington was a mayor for the people. Right. Oh, yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, when he was in D.C., he did what he had to do because he was for the people. Yeah. When he was here on the fifth floor, he did what he We've had to do. We've never had a mayor like Harold Washington who came up through the ranks in Chicago mm-hmm. for the black community. Yeah. And uh, really had to confront the issues of the limitations of the democratic machine mm. in connection to the black community. We've never had a mayor like that. And yeah. with the, who's been elected, Eugene Sawyer to a lesser degree. He was, mm-hmm. uh, of course he was voted in by the, we've never, he's voted in by the city council. We've never had yeah. a, a mayor like that, that worldview that Harold brought to uh, city hall. And it's really absent in my humble opinion. Um, all right, let's talk about something that is near and dear to your heart. Uh, I'm smiling <laughs> when I say it, uh, because I have so many memories of you and Pat Quinn in Millennium Park. Was it last summer yeah, or the summer before? Uh, both, actually, because yeah. we had two years to get signatures. Uh, 8,553, right. something like that. Um, Pat Quinn, Doris <laughs> Davenport's a longtime uh, f- a friend and a supporter of Pat Quinn. Mm-hmm. And as such, she joined his crusade to get... Uh, term limits for ter- the mayor. Term limits for the mayor on the, the ballot. Mm-hmm. We just needed the referendum. That's so right. Pat had to collect, and, and his allies had to collect, I think, eight, what, 50-something thousand? Well, it was 80, yeah, I, I'd have to look at the number. I don't even remember. It was I can't remember. Like 80,000, it was a... Yeah. We, we, we collected 87,000 yeah. plus... And a lot of that, well, some many of those signatures are collected in Millennium Park. Talk about gathering signatures uh, in Millennium Park. Well, yeah, and let me just uh, create some context around it. Two days ago, your beloved Bright One had an article <laughs> that talked about um, um, teens from Wheaton who's suing the city of Chicago. They're suing the city of Chicago because they have been, they were in Millennium Park engaging in religious activities. They were passing out pamphlets. Uh, they were, I think, one might have had a megaphone and they were uh, speaking about their religion and they were told that they could not pass out pamphlets nor could they speak religious activities well the teens pushed back and they said this is a public park of course we can and they were told that they can't do it um i believe they were uh it went back and forth a couple of them gave in and another one had come up and said well what's going on and they said well we can't pass anything out he said well that's ridiculous and he started passing out literature make a long story short um 
they went back to their town and spoke to, I guess, their parents. And a lawyer whom I actually know, he's been on my show uh, several times, he represented a Montessori school in River Forest and won against the uh, village of River Forest uh, for um, improperly taxing them uh, or prohibiting them from benefiting from a, an exemption as a school. So he's a very good lawyer. He, his law practice focuses on um, um, clients who uh, believe in Jesus Christ. And so this is a perfect one for him. But in his suit, he is looking at also what other rights are is the park district and the city of Chicago prohibiting in a public square. When we were collecting signatures, I can recall numerous times during the film festival and during the concert summer series in the park where I was harassed by security in the park who told me I could not collect signatures to get a referendum question on the ballot in the public park called Millennium Square. And I refused to accept them telling me that I couldn't do that. And I'd show up literally almost every day I was out there with Governor Quinn, with another young uh, student from University of Missouri who just graduated named uh, Tyler Brumfield. And um, uh, Bill Wagner, we were out there almost every single day collecting signatures. And we were told every day, and I think one day it, they just made a decision that they weren't going to let us do it. And the word must have gotten around because they were they were more forceful than usual. I was told that if I did not adhere to them, that I would be arrested. If I insisted on walking into the park, I would be arrested. And I said, well, I don't think you have the authority to arrest me. I'm going into the park. And so I'm asking you to get your supervisor or somebody who has the authority to have a conversation with me because you keep talking to me about a policy. You've shown me nothing in writing. You've shown me you can't even cite the policy. So there's nothing that you're saying that makes any sense to me. I have a constitutional right to be in this park. This is a democracy. The democracy says, our democracy says that in order to run for office, in order to put a referendum on the ballot, you've got to collect signatures. And, and I can't come in a public park where people have the right to say yes or no. Do you know that they've cordoned off a section of Millennium Park and said that's the only section you'll be able to collect signatures where there are no people? Um, <laughs> this is a violation of our constitutional rights. Yeah. And the, I call them the white shirts. Uh, so I told them, I'll be in the park, call who you need to call, um, I'll stay to the right so you'll know where to find me and come get me when they come. And then you can make a decision about arresting me. So the white shirts came down, and I call them white shirts because they came down from the lofty towers surrounding, mm. these are the administrators, and they literally were wearing white shirts. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and they told me after we had a conversation, and they too could not show me or cite any uh, policy, they finally agreed that I could go into the park um, I, and I'll, I have this written down, so I may not get all my facts straight here, but I believe that what they said was you can go into the park until the concert starts or until the movie begins, and then you can't collect anymore. Well, that was fair. We did that anyway, just as a general rule, respecting the people who came there to see or watch a concert. Yeah. Once the film or the concert started, we didn't do that. But my point is, and when we speak about progressiveness, if... I look, there are different things that I look at and we'll be looking at to measure the success or failure of our current mayor. I give her a chance. I want her to succeed. But it's things like this. If these teens in Wheaton are suing the city of Chicago because they have constitutional rights to be in the public space, just as I know I have a constitutional right to collect signatures in Millennium Park, 
I'd like to see what that reaction is going to be. Because if the response is to put all the resources behind uh, fighting this lawsuit, that's not a progressive person. That's not a progressive administration. That is um, that would be an act that I would consider a very direct um, act in opposition of the rights of the people. Now, I've interviewed uh, Mayor Lightfoot. She has said to me on on my show mm -hmm. that she supports the right of referendums. So I'd like to I'm, I'm really watching this one. I want to see what this administration is going to do about these teens from Wheaton mm -hmm. who have a constitutional right. And I'd love this lawyer to add political activities to the lawsuit. Well, there, there gets to be an issue at some point of how much uh, the city of Chicago can tolerate in Millennium Park in terms of people uh, out there in the proselytizing, passing out leaflets, uh, on the sidewalk, I understand that there's issues and concerns. If you if you allow the the teenagers from Wheaton, all right, then maybe uh, the teenagers from Glen Ellen want to be there for the Democratic Party, or maybe the teenagers from I'm thinking of my but Naperville, a, you know, want to have a little a, a section so yeah. they can do the Republican Party. And pretty much, you're going to have more. This is the argument that's given the slippery yeah, slope. Yeah, but that doesn't argument. mean that you enact. Um, Tiananmen Square rules uh, in the in the public square. They in their own literature they describe Millennium Park as a town square. Well, if it's a town square, it's a town square, right? Um, and this is a democracy. Yeah. So yeah, that, I, that I'm with you. By the way, uh, in terms of the uh, the way they try to stop people from gathering signatures, uh, and and yeah, and by the way, what a notion that. Anybody who's gathering signatures to a cause that would continue to gather the signatures after a concert or movie has started is working against their cause. You're going to alienate the very people you want. So we think just common sense they would yeah. not gather. You get what I'm saying? Like the movie yeah. started, doors is up. <laughs> oh, forget the movie. Uh, uh, so uh, it, it makes no sense at all. But. I, I feel as though the city in general, uh, Doris, has gone too far to, in the protection of Millennium Park. And I, as I said earlier in the show, this goes back to the days it was first created. They wouldn't let you take pictures. And the Daily this. Administration, what's the biggest mistake they made? They don't allow dogs. Oh, okay. Now that's a, where's Mr. Precious? He's asleep uh, right behind me. Oh, well, that, that's a whole other issue. Maggie about, Daly would roll over if she knew that they were not allowing dogs in her park. I don't, oh, in Maggie Daly Park. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Millennium Park, uh, yeah. that's still, that's well, all that's, an extension of yeah, her. Yeah, it's extension. Well, they weren't allowing dogs uh, when Maggie Daly was alive in Millennium Park, right? They weren't allowed, they've never well, allowed dogs. I never dogs. got stopped over there until they actually officially had a name for it and you know like started this this was a big thing after she after she passed away so maybe you i just the, didn't know before yeah i i think you didn't know i don't think dogs have ever been allowed it's been a while since i took yeah, no they've the never rules. been allowed in millennium and park skateboarders aren't allowed in millennium bicyclers are mm -hmm. not allowed so a lot of these protections i'm i'm, I'm for i think like keeping bicyclers as much as i ride a bike mm -hmm. it's too crowded I think it's too, it's a, there's a danger there. So, uh, but uh, dogs, hmm, should they allow dogs in Millennium Park? I don't know, Doris Davenport. <laughs> I may be in the side of the city here. And I love dogs. I love Mr. Precious. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, I do think they should allow people with mm -hmm. clipboards to gather signatures yes. petition. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's not a, the difference is you can, if you want to go to the lot, the parking lot of a grocery store, they can restrict you from being there because it's private property. Mm -hmm. We're talking about public spaces here. 
and you can't restrict the major areas of the public spaces where the people are. All right, let me ask you a question. Yes. So they stopped you from uh, threatening you with arrest yes. for gathering signatures to petition and calling for term limits. Term yes. limits would have directly And this impacted. was under the administration of Rahm Emanuel. That is correct. Let's get that correct. And the term limits uh, would directly impact Rahm Emanuel yes. because he would have prevented him from running for a third term. And he, That's right. Let's say you, Doris Davenport, were out there collecting signatures on behalf of Rahm Emanuel's ability. <laughs> to, would those white shirts have come down and, and Honey, threatened? the white shirts would have been down there offering me coffee and tea and tiramisu. There we go, folks. <laughs> there's some speech that's protected and there's and other there's speech, other speech that's, that's not protected. All right, Doris Davenport, we're out of time here. Why don't you tell folks about your show? You have several shows. They want to check you out uh, where and when. Uh, thank you so much, Ben. Uh, Jarofsky, you do a fantastic job. Uh, I can be heard on WCPT on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Uh, you can also watch the show via Facebook Live on the WCPT Facebook page or the Doris Davenport Show Facebook page. It is the Doris Davenport Show, Sunday evenings on WPNA 1490 in Oak Park River Forest. And again, that show is live on Facebook on the Doris Davenport Show. Uh, you can follow me at Davenport Talks on Twitter, ICU Davenport on Instagram, and of course, the Doris Davenport Show on Facebook. Ben, you're the best. All right, very good. Oh, Thank you. Doris, uh, Ram has something he wants to say. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> Take a chill pill. All right. What a guy, oh, Ram Emanuel. And hey, uh, before we get out of here, we got two updates here. First off, the Fran Spielman Show. She has a guest, uh, her latest guest. Go check it out, everybody. It's available at suntimes.com. We'll hear a little bit of it now. Alderman uh, Beal. I almost called him Bradley Beal oh, from the Wizards. Yeah. Alderman Anthony, Anthony Beal. He's pushing back and stuff. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. With me is someone who is returning to the scene of the crime, I would say, because <laughs> Alderman Anthony Beal, mm -hmm. it was your appearance on this show declaring your opposition to Scott Wagesbeck and mm -hmm. the mayor's choice of him as finance chairman that got you in trouble with mm -hmm. her. Right. What happened after that? Because you were a backer of hers, right? Right. I was one of the very first uh, people in the city council that supported the mayor um, and, you know, was on the front line, you know, helping her get elected. And, uh, you know, and I just tried to warn her on the reputation and, um, you know, the tactics that um, the alderman um, did over the years that I've been there and worked with him. And I didn't think that was the kind of culture that we wanted to cultivate in the city council as far as working together and moving forward. That there is a tease. To hear the rest of that, head over to the Chicago Sun-Times website, The France Spielman Show, her guest, Alderman Anthony Beal. All right, I'm totally, uh, uh, I'm going to defend Scott Waggis. I don't know what uh, Anthony Beal is talking about. You want to work together to pass the parking meter deal? Is that the kind of thing you want to work together to pass? Uh, Look at that. What uh -oh. is that a picture of? I can't see. This is a picture of all of those people at that tax Property tax. Oh, with the bright ones. The bright ones. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Mark Brown, I'll tell you, was a hell of a uh, front cover. Anyway, Fran Spillman, I'm definitely going to check that interview out. She does a great job. And of let's uh, get your thoughts on this one, Doris and Ben. Lauren Underwood, like we said, uh, she has a new opponent. A lot of po opponents lining up to try to beat Lauren Underwood here in the upcoming election. A lot of Republican opponents. Oh, you're talking about Republicans. Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. Ted Gradell, former kicker of Notre Dame, uh, has announced that he's going to be running. We played an ad from him like months ago. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's meet the latest uh, feller here. His name's James Martyr of Oswego. Okay. We I, were in we Oswego. Oswego. We did a yeah. remote from Oswego. Fantastic yeah. time in Oswego. Ben, what was your favorite part of Oswego? When we ate. Oh. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fox River, too, huh? Oh, oh yeah. That was the fight. The Fox River is right over there. Did you know that? <laughs> that was a blast in Oswego. I really had fun there. Well, let's meet James Martyr. Maybe you'll like him, too. Eh, probably not, because it seems like he's a huge Trump dude. Oh. America-loving people must be elected to stop establishment politicians from destroying what our ancestors built, fought for, and worked to conserve and protect. Like you, I'm one of those people who love this great nation of ours. We've made our home in the village of Oswego, the heart of the 14th Congressional District under both the old and new maps. We've raised our three sons and daughter here. Three of our four children currently live nearby where we welcomed our first granddaughter last year. She is a gem and growing fast. I want to ensure our children and yours oh, have music filled with hope, security, oh opportunity. He's winning me over. That music's so awesome. Grandchildren and yours may grow up with freedom and opportunity, uh, <laughs> the kind of America we all have come to know and love. Oh, my God. I, I the Illinois you're, you're liking it. Oh, yeah, yeah back really. By a real Republican in 2020. A real with Republican? A She's not a Republican at all. She's a Democrat. Who will go to Washington to fight for the America First agenda, secure the border, build the wall. All right, that's all right. Pff, secure all that Big fan, huh, Really got to secure that border for us, we go, because, you know, they're right on the border. Good God, Lord. How about the, the, about the food, though, when we ate? Yeah, the food was good. I, that guy had nothing to do with the food, right? And the, But the music swelling mm-hmm, and the Lauren mm-hmm. Underwood, uh, I don't think she'll have trouble with this guy. Is Overwise still her. smelling around there? Uh, is he? I think he was talking about, uh, was it uh, against Lauren Underwood? Yeah, I think it was yeah. against Lauren. I'm getting all my Republicans mixed up because yeah, there's Sean Caston. There's a bunch of them running against him right. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Lauren Underwood, I'm a big fan of Lauren Underwood. Yeah, um, yeah me too. I think she did a great job. All right, Doris Davenport, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I also want to thank the great Terry Cosgrove, uh, Cecile Richards from Planned Parenthood earlier uh, in the show, and Ramana Hussein and Ramana Rundown every Friday. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as you know, Doris, back home in Alton, <laughs> they call him White, white lightning, lightning. cause he's so fast. <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash, Doctor D. See you on Tuesday, everybody. I'm not fast, and nobody calls me that. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews like this weekend's Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites. Chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, ChicagoReader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, you know we live stream the show, right? Yeah, it's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, one until three p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun Times YouTube channel, and we now Facebook live stream at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show, J O R A, V as in Victory, S K Y.